This episode is brought to you by Metro Mugs. Today is Tuesday, June 16th. We have Ike Wines on the show today. Decky Thailand, back at it again. How are you? We're doing great, Andy Manufacturer. Uh, we're doing great, man. It's uh, just been a... It hasn't been anything. We're actually just very stoked to have Ike on the podcast today. You know, one of my good buddies that I met uh, on the trip in Thailand, we get into that. But more importantly, this man is, you know, he's an entrepreneur. He started his own company uh, all about uh, uh, sustaining the earth and recycling. Runs a waste management company, essentially, uh, with junk coming in uh, to his place in Milwaukee and how he turns uh, all of the stuff that he gets in. 85% of it is recoverable. Phenomenal story, and I'm just stoked for you guys to listen to it. He also made this killer sign in our in our window now that took over the poster. It's a wooden, crafted uh, BP logo. And, you know, he does that as a side hustle. What was cool is he came up for the weekend to hand deliver this piece of art that he crafted for us and then stayed in our Airbnb room, uh, which was just awesome. Because we got, So we got the full, like, 36 hours of Ike, which was killer. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, if you guys are interested in more of his artwork, definitely go check it out. Um, but before we do any of the story behind Ike, enjoy. All right, here we are. Oh my gosh! Here we are. Here we are, Ike. It's been. Uh, I'm trying to think how long you've been wanting to come on this podcast November for. November twenty something. <laughs> Not that I'm like you know. You saying twenty? <laughs> <laughs> it's like ah oh, yeah, we're finally throwing the guy a bone. Yeah, yeah. it's like November, Thanksgiving maybe. November seventeenth, nine forty-two p.m. It's fine. Yeah. You yeah, you saying twenty something made it sound way longer than just like yeah last year. Yeah. Well. Because it was the day I hit you up was when I was coming up here in November, and that was the mm-hmm. last time I was in Minneapolis for the Yam House concert. Uh, I don't know if they played that weekend. Uh, I wasn't gonna be able to make it to their first Av show, so I came up here like two weeks prior for yeah. some other event. But no, you know what it was is you. Oh, the IV- we didn't know we were on the trip, the Ivy trip together, yep. and you DM back pocket saying, "Hey man, I'm gonna be in Minneapolis for some business. Would love to come on the podcast." Uh, and then you kind of gave some explanation, said you were friends with the Yam House boys. And I was like, hey, we're kind of super bitched up during this yeah. week. Can't really have you on. Sure as heck, I show up for a meeting for this Ivy trip. <laughs> that, that same going, weekend. That same weekend. <laughs> and great. I walk into the Ivy studio and like sitting right there. Yeah, I'm like, And I'm like, wait a second. Like, I think we put it together like on the spot almost. Yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, you're the podcast I hit up this weekend that I'm not on. It's fine. <laughs> That's all good. And then I, became... I just happened to, I, but I hit you up like Thursday night. I'm like, hey, I'll be in Minneapolis tomorrow. Are you guys free at all? And it was like, no. No. It, so, it, was, it was very awful win, but I mean, fine. you pretty much did the same thing this time. You're like, hey, I'm going to be up here. We just had, you know, six months planned, kind of. Uh, you, you, pretty much. Right. Yeah. Pretty much. It's all good. And a trip to Thailand. In between there, yeah. In between yeah. there. And this nice new wood wooden piece. I mean, so yeah. freaking cool, dude. Yeah. So it impressive. Was a fun project on Saturday. So cool. Did you end up burning uh, that really cool zigzag piece that you... Uh, the you were... Earth one? Yeah. Yeah, so it was a bookcase that said Earth. Right. And, yeah, for years, I've literally been, I've dreamt about filming a video with that and then just burning it. 
um, just because of the symbolic part of it. People are like, oh, why would you burn something that you, like, made and, like, looked cool? And I'm like, it's kind of the symbolic piece between what we're doing to the earth. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm just a very – I'm a huge environmentalist. Um, so, like, the dream of burning a bookcase that said earth was, like, top-notch. Kill, so we, yeah. we burned it vertically at, for the video, and then we threw it in the fire, and we got some shots of it burning in there as well. Right. And then you are, like, playing piano, right? With the fire behind us. Oh, yeah. God, we have a 10 by 10 bonfire pit, which we burn pianos in. Could you bring so, the mic a little closer? Yeah, yeah. Keep moving. A little even more. <laughs> I, I hope the there listeners heard the creaking <laughs> of the... <laughs> Cranky. Um, yeah, that was a super fun video project. I don't know. We're just, with quarantine here, we're just getting super creative and just like a lot of ideas I've had brewing for years but never had, had time to pursue. Like we're just executing on it now. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. So before we sprint like headfirst into this conversation, I do want to get a little bit of context of kind of your story, your upbringing, knowing that you're from Milwaukee and everything, you know, somewhat of a local guy. We explained, you know, our connection and your connection to the back pocket. Um, but I would love to kind of just get a, Brief background yeah. of who is Ike. I love it. Um, so my dad is an entrepreneur. So I kind of grew up entrepreneurial household. Not you know he would be gone twelve fifteen hours a day every day. So I'm like oh that's what it takes to run a business. So we kind of grew up in that entrepreneurial household and mindset. Um, and I like started random businesses when I was sixth seventh grade. Just like like literally there was a time I took a canoe down to a river and I was charging kids to sit on the canoe and I would push him down the river and I was making like 25 cents a ride. I was getting rich, dude. Um, and then fast forward, got really into music in high school. Um, really wanted to start a band with my buddies. So freshman year we started a band and it actually kind of took off really quick. So during high school, we would be going to school during the days and playing like shows at night, like on Tuesday and Wednesday nights playing in front of hundreds of kids and then going back to school the next day. Um, so then doing that, I was able to walk around the halls selling t-shirts, um, just kind of got in that, and then the second we graduated high school, we hit the road for... What kind of t-shirts are you, sh- are you selling? So, the reason my handle is Get Like Ike is our first band t-shirt. Literally, it was a purple shirt with yellow writing that said Get Like Ike, and then our band name at the bottom. That's literally where it came from. And this random kid from high school, like, commented on our band page, is like, when is the Get Like Ike shirts coming in? And we're like, we don't know what that means, but let's do it. And that was our first band t-shirt ever. Dude. So, I just walked around the hall selling shirts with my name on it, sold like 200 of them done. Oh, great. <laughs> that's sick. <laughs> they were a hit. The first show we had them at, we sold we sold out of them. We sold like 36 in one night, um, which is like huge back then. That's great. Right. No, that's just. So, um, so the second we all turned 18 and were able to like hit the road, we hit the road for five years straight, just getting on every tour we could, you know, sleeping in our van every night, just playing whatever shows. And we would leave for two to five weeks at a time as much as we could throughout the year and just played music across the country and. I don't know. Like, I wouldn't have traveled as much. Like, I didn't grow up in, like, a, a household that, like, we did vacations or traveled a ton because we were always just a working family. Um, so the how, fact that... At, how many of you guys were traveling together at one time? Uh, five or six, okay. typically. God, that's a riot. So, yeah, five dudes in a van. Uh, I mean, you literally live out of this van for three or four weeks at a time. And, I mean, there was tours. I went on a 31-day tour, and we slept in a car 28 nights out of 31 days. Like a Toyota Aztec. Oh, my God. And I'm 6'6", six, six, and I fit just perfectly without the back seats in there. As me and two <laughs> other people, we slept in it 28 nights out of 31. That was one of the more intricate tours that we did, but, yeah. So we would, you know, tour, like, at our peak probably four months out of the year. Okay. Um, and 
literally you would just whatever jobs you could get that would allow you to leave for a month at a time we would all just work two or three jobs build up a bunch a bunch of money leave for three weeks blow all that money and come home just broke and restart the process over again and hopefully your band gained traction every time you came to the city again you know if we played in omaha like the first time we played there we would draw you know 20 30 kids and then that turned into 100 kids and then 200 kids and you just kind of build your reputation going like that. Mm-hmm. So, what were some of the hot spots like cities wise? Omaha was big for us. Uh, Minneapolis, we always played um, at the garage. Um, I can't. Uh, Burnsville. Yep. Okay. Um, to put some context, the type of music you're playing is like heavy metal, right? Hard. Yeah. Hard. Hard core, rock. Hard, hardcore metal. Crazy. In, in the new age. Yeah. <laughs> hard. A traveling so like, hardcore metal bed. Yeah. This headbang and this. And you know. played bass and... I played guitar, then I switched to bass, like, the last two years. Got it. So... Slapping um, the bass, man. Yeah, slapping the bass. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was, I don't know, it was a fun time. And then right at the end of my music career, I actually took a random tour filling in for a band. Um, and the tour manager, we were on our way to the first show in Oklahoma. And the lead singer of the band got on the phone with somebody, and he's like, hey, we have to turn around, like, the tour's canceled. I'm like, what do you mean the tour's canceled? He's like, the tour manager isn't showing up, and like this is a tour we have to have a manager for. I'm like, tell the guy I'll do it. He's like, what do you mean? Have you done this before? I'm like, yeah, of course I've done this. Never done it before. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, all right, yeah, I equal tour manager. He gets off the phone. He's like, have you really done this? I'm like, oh, hell no. He's like, I was like, I'll figure it out. So the first show we show up to, all the managers are there, all the you know, the bands show up. We all meet each other for the first time, and this dude walks up to me. He's like, hey, if my band gives you any trouble, here's my card. Give me a call. He happens to be Pitbull's manager. And I'm like, gotcha, sir. I'll give you a call if you need me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I literally learned how to tour manage like in a day. And then for the next 31 days, I just got better every day and tried to execute on it. And I held my own. I wasn't, you know, there were some situations I'd take care of. You figured it out. I figured it out. Yeah, we always say uh, figure figure it out, adjust, and go. It's the FOAG mentality. It's better than saying no and just saying you can't do something. Right. So At least inquire about it. So that was my first experience. Like I, I got to play on stage every night, play guitar for a band, which was cool. But then the second I got off stage, I was full tour mode. Gotcha. Um, no breaks. Yeah, but it was great. I loved it. I mean, and I got paid. The nice thing is I got paid as an artist. I got paid as a tour manager. Uh, I got paid doing merch. So I just took like every side job on the tour just to make an extra 10, 20 bucks here and there every day. So. Right, because that's kind of crucial as a like the life oh, yeah. of yeah being in to- on a tour like you need to kind of make like a certain bottom line of money Correct. each day and right? the artist makes the least amount of money people don't realize that like the band makes the least amount but the people that do the merch the tour managing the sound they make you know decent money every day really so, yeah i did not know that yeah so if a band you know if a band's guarantee is two grand a night like first off the the uh, manager of the band who's not even on the tour but just manages the band from a distance and makes sure that they're doing good takes 10 to 15 percent then the tour manager takes 10 to 15 percent so right off the top you already lost 30 percent and you haven't even paid your sound guy your merch the band hasn't been paid nothing so the way that bands you know survive on the road is they get a per diem every day of like either like a catering buyout or they get fed every day pretty much so okay. you get like you know out of a two thousand dollar uh guarantee maybe the five band members will split five to seven hundred bucks so they each get paid 100 125 bucks but then they also get like a 30 40 dollar per dm so they get to you know live off of that and eat and drink and whatever so but you also get hooked up with catering and you literally live off of like not having to pay rent not having to buy food like you don't make money but you also don't spend money yeah you don't have a gas bill you don't have a water bill correct yeah so 
which I don't know is that a would you rather live not having anything to pay for or would you rather be getting paid and then having to spend um, the money on the things that you I mean I have to pay for and since I've been an adult I've lived that model of like I don't make money but everything in my life is paid for that I need to live on like I don't need to live on much so mm. I've literally never collected paychecks in my adult life I guess if you will well yeah okay so like even now like running a business I don't get paid every you know two weeks i haven't collected a paycheck in four years if that makes sense i think yeah well how does it how do you where's the money coming in at all do you need to or do you just expense everything through your business yeah the, the few things i need to buy in life yeah i just expense it and i make a little bit of side money doing woodworking and stuff like the thailand trip that's why i made like 10 or 11 mountain pieces to fund the thailand trip because I was like, wow. I, don't, I don't have money in my bank account, but I want to go to Thailand. So I made 10 or 11 pieces. I was like, all right, if I sell these, then I can go on Thai, like to Thailand. But obviously I committed. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll come up with the money. Put the pressure on. Oh, yeah. I like it. It has to happen. And okay. even this year, like looking forward to what I might be doing traveling-wise, like I know the money I need to come up with. So I'm just creating in my garage, and then I'm going to list everything and sell it. And that's kind of my you know, play money, if you will, vacation yeah. money. But. Oh, for sure. So yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, you made this awesome wooden piece from us, uh, for us from like recycled scrap wood from your uh, junkyard company. Yeah. So we, we have a building and a company now that uh, we processed waste. So it's a waste recovery facility. Our goal is to take products in thousands of products every single day and find ways to keep them out of the landfill. Um, so we work with vendors that recycle stuff. We work with vendors that repurpose it or reuse it in its current state. Um, a big thing that we do get in a ton is wood. And my goal is to make art out of it, but not use additional products to do that. So, like, I don't stain it. I don't paint it. Um, I literally want to use raw wood and create art, challenge myself to create art using it in its raw state. And so the only thing I literally buy to make stuff is nails. That's it. Gotcha. Where do you come up with the the waste? Uh are you just going to so, is the like the dumps of corporate? Uh... No, so we get stuff dropped off at our facility. Okay. Um, so we partner with companies that pick up waste. They drop it off at our facility, and then it's our job to process it properly. And um, like five, four or five years ago, when my brother and I were coming up with this concept of what we wanted to do long term, we created a five phase reutilization system. So it starts with like taking stuff to the landfill, recycling it repurposing it reusing it and then reducing waste so we we look at every product that we get in and we it obviously starts at the bottom it says okay this product is currently going to the landfill can we recycle it can we repurpose it can we reuse it can we reduce the amount of waste that we produce as a society so dude that's incredible my younger brother is at uh wisconsin stevens point right now yep and his major is waste management yep uh, he's a junior and he couldn't find an internship this summer because, uh, COVID and, you know, no one's hiring. Yep. I'm gonna connect him with you. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Literally he can come kick it at our building and learn how we approach it. It's a very, ours is a very grassroots approach. Like the thing is in the waste industry and especially the way that we approach it, like we work with waste management. We work with a big scrapyard in Milwaukee, these big companies, but then you got to know the inner city guys. Like there's literally a dude called the wash machine man who buys all of our washing machines. And, like, that's his name. He's been in Milwaukee for 30, 40 years. He's a one-man show. Yep. And he comes whenever we get 18 washing machines in our building. He comes. He picks out which one he wants to buy. He fixes them up. He has all the parts. Like, if it's missing, you know, two knobs here and needs a new motor, he buys it for 20 bucks, takes it back to his warehouse, fixes it up, pays somebody 20 bucks to fix it, and then sells it for 150 And he's still undercutting the market. Yep. So, like, you have to have all these, like, 
like you have these big connections of like these national companies and then you have all these like little inner ones um the washing machine guy the washing machine man that's literally on his business on his building that's what it says like people are like oh you just call him that and it's like no that's his name that's his, name. his real name's darren but call him the washing machine man i didn't know his name was darren for like 10 years that's so gnarly it's the little things every cog in the wheel is important so like all of our clothing is the clothing thing is very interesting to me we put all of our clothing in these bins that it weighs like 800 pounds and before we even send it off to our recycler um to take it to the next step we have like three thrifters literally come and look through it and take what they want to repurpose it so it's not even like that has four connections or four touch points if you will before we send our clothing off so people that are looking for like vintage and retro clothing like they hit us up. There's like, hey, do you have bins for me to look through? And they come. They can buy 20 bucks worth of stuff or 200 bucks. Then we ship it off to the next guy. And then we get paid per pound to ship stuff off. Right. So. So in terms of like the mass coming in. Yep. And the mass going out. What percentage would you say gets is, recovered? Gets recovered. Um, at our peak, we were recovering about 85 percent, 80 to 85 percent of the okay. waste we were bringing in. Uh, which traditionally in the waste, like for junk removal companies, um, they recover about 60%, and then 40% goes to the landfill. So we were never at 100% sustainability, like landfill-free, if you will, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we're working with new technology always to see kind of where the industry's at, what we can grow it to. Um, So yeah, we've been at 80, 85% of recovery. So and like Still impressive. People, like the amount of poundage and yards that we bring in every day, like in our facility – at our peak, we could bring in 110 cubic yards a day, 110 wash machines, if you will, of debris on a day. And then the next day, it comes back right in. Like, So you have to be incredibly efficient with what you do that the, day. The, proce- the process has to be top-notch because the second somebody takes something off the truck and sets it somewhere, it has to be in the right spot because then the vendors have to be able to come pick it up easily. Um, we have to be able to move it around the warehouse easily. Like, yeah. it, Everything has to make sense. So it's like an Amazon warehouse of but the, But the thing is, is like you don't know what's coming in. Yeah. Every right. single day. I it's get a, Christmas I, morning. I, every single day I get a phone call or a photo or a video. I'm, and there's like, hey, what do you want to do with this? And I'm like, put it here. I'll take care of it. <laughs> and like we find unique stuff every single day that it's literally a one-off item that we'll never get again. Mm-hmm. Like um, a golden tea machine. Yeah. We literally have had that. We've had <laughs> golden tea. We've had, I think we've had like four arcade machines in. Yep. Um, what's like the worst or most actually yeah what's the most unique thing that you've ever gotten in your so we didn't get to keep it and i don't think i'll ever be able to top this story like i think i peaked you know three Uh, months don't don't say three months into our business we peaked (laughs) (laughs) um just clip that out three months (laughs) we we peaked we'll never be this good so we didn't get to keep it but we were cleaning out this warehouse and we were three months in we didn't know what we were doing we pretty much jumped feet first into this business and like we're just like we'll figure it out as we go we did and we're doing like our largest clean out to date it was like this ten thousand square foot warehouse and we're getting rid of some stuff we're moving some stuff we're just kind of doing all this stuff for this client and he told us at the beginning of the job he's like hey i'm looking for this museum crate if you find it let me know we're like all right but we're we have like eight employees at this time like to tell them everything we need to keep track of was a nightmare so i didn't even know i didn't even know about it that we were looking for this crate the whole time when the dudes ran out of buckets to put paper in so they found this box i.e the crate and they were going to empty it out and put paper in it for us to move the product in and out but they're just like you know what this box looks interesting like maybe i'll go tell like like maybe the owner wants to keep this or something thank god they did so they brought it up to me. They're just like, "Hey, like, 
this is we found this like is this important i'm like i don't know let me go check with the owner and the owner's like thank god you found this i've been looking at like they lost this box for 15 years in this warehouse so we're like what's in it and he opens it up he tells us a story so 25 years ago this company it's an indian-owned gas station company they own like 300 stations in the midwest so they built a statue of gandhi to put in the chicago chicago museum of art one of them and uh, this museum in India caught wind that they they built this beautiful statue. So with the statue, they wanted to pair Gandhi's sandals and his spinning wheel with it. His actual his actual sandals. Spinning wheel. And a spinning wheel. So 20 years ago, they shipped a crate from New Delhi, India to Mequon, Wisconsin to get picked up by the Chicago Museum representative. And the museum, museum representative never came to pick it up. So in this crate, I have photos of it, I can show you guys after, was Gandhi's sandals and his spinning wheel. So we open it up, and I'm like, that's Gandhi's sandals. Sure, <laughs> no, sure enough, dude. Wow. <laughs> dude, that is incredible. Yeah. And that was, like I said, three months into our business. I'm like, oh, we peaked. We peaked. All right. Mm, yeah, you peaked. Yeah, no, that I is can, confirmed. I can't, yeah, confirmed. So like, <laughs> you can't top that. You can't find a greater world leader. And it's like, the thing is, the dude had no possessions. Like, you think about Gandhi, like, he didn't own anything. Like, you find something from a celebrity or something, like, they own a lot of stuff. You can find their signatures. You can find, like, we have a signed football by Brett Favre. We have signed posters by Hulk Hogan. We have all these cool things in our office that we get to keep. But, like, that's mass-produced, if you will, compared to Gandhi's sandals. Right. So. That's incredible, man. And It yeah, was a trip. That That's so cool that he – there's a couple things that come to mind with all of this. The first thing is – like your business is taking mass in, pushing mass out, and trying to conserve as much as we possibly can. But I think it really shows the fact that just we all as a people of society have way too much stuff. It's so materialistic. None of us can really pick up and just go somewhere with all the things that we have because we have way too much yep. as opposed to could we pick up and leave with the things that we exactly. need. Why do you think I don't have money to buy stuff? Because I don't – I walk into – you know, I was the past five years I've been walking to people's houses where they have too much stuff and I'm like, I don't want to be that. And like I go home and I have like pretty minimal amount of stuff and I'm like, I can still get rid of things and repurpose it properly. Mm-hmm. So so we're we're totally in the waste recovery facility or the waste recovery model right now. So we don't go out and pick stuff up anymore. We got out of that business a few months ago. Um, but as far as like processing waste and still finding a home for it, that's where our passion lies at the end of the day. So I want to be able to look at a product and find the next best way to get rid of it. And, like, every day we meet new people, discover new processes for the ways that that can be done properly. When did you start this journey at, um, so, after leaving uh, the, mu- the music world? So as actually this week, four years ago. Um, I told my band in April, I'm like, hey, I'm done. After this next tour, I'm going to start a business with my brother, and I'm just done doing music. And, like, was the band kind of phasing out as um, well? Or? We had changed a lot of members over the years, and we were just about to release the best record I've ever been a part of. Like, it's like I'm so impressed and proud of the record that we created. But there was just a dynamic in the band that just wasn't working for me anymore. I was only one of two original people from the past 10 years. It was me and one other dude, and then there was new members. Um, and between the business opportunity that I had coming and then the, the way I was feeling towards the band, it just... It just everything felt right for the first time, and I never saw myself leaving the music industry. I'm like, dude, this band is my everything. I always do this, and then for one reason, for one reason or another, it just clicked one day. I'm like, I need to stop doing this. Um, four so, years ago. Yeah, four years ago. So I told them I was leaving after the next tour. 
I did like a 13 day tour and we played our last show in Minneapolis, um, downtown at Amsterdam bar and grill. And that night we went to a house party actually down the road until 2 AM. I went to the airport at 3 AM, caught a flight to Philadelphia. And by 10 AM I was sitting in meetings for, to start our business. So I literally had 12 hours between being on stage and being in meetings, starting our first business. It was crazy. Closing the door. Oh yeah. I was like, I'm not gonna waste any time. I, I got it. You know, one right. thing on to the next. So we oh, started our God, business. Yeah. It's like straight out of a movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, that day was crazy. I was up for 40 hours, and I fell asleep at a bar that night because I just couldn't stay awake. <laughs> it was a trip. <laughs> That's so gnarly. Um, yeah, so I went straight from playing music to starting a business, and our our business was literally just my brother and I in our backyard. It was We didn't have a plan. Um, we bought into a franchise model at the time, and um, we started in the backyard, and then like hiring our first employee like six eight weeks in was like mind-blowing to me i'm like dude we're gonna have an employee like we have to pay him and i get to teach him what i know is crazy to me and it was, it was my best friends they're twins and we you know kind of got a two-for-one deal um look at that yeah two, two new hires. so i got to, i was like i get to hire two of my best friends uh, right. and one of them used to be in the band with me so we hired them and then like now looking back like at one point we had like 95 employees like two years ago and like I still think back to hiring our first employee and how I felt that day. Like that was just mind blowing to me. What was like the thought going through your head? I'm like the fact that like I enjoy this and get to do this and now I get to pay somebody else and teach them. Right. Like I was just like, I can't believe that we actually scaled something to hire somebody. Right. And now it's like looking back on that like minimalistic mindset. I was like, now we have dozens of employees and always, and have for the past three years. But like, I don't know, still thinking back to like buying our second truck hiring our first employee like all those milestones at the time um it's just crazy yeah that is like crazy. I, I, I like i can't get mad or upset or angry walking into work every day because i i get to walk into a building that has been my dream building for my entire life like it's it's not like at 23 i just like i was like oh i'm gonna get into you know saving the environment like i've dreamt about this my entire life owning a rundown building in milwaukee and fixing it up and um processing waste out of there that's always been in my mind since i was like 10 years old so now like walking into that dream every single day like i can't not be happy about it no matter what happens right so like even through all this like yeah we're going through a tough time as a business right now but as long as we're in business tomorrow it's still a good day that's what i tell myself every day Mm -hmm. like as long as we are paying our bills and we get to keep our building and stay in business i don't care what happens and you're helping the world. Correct. Helping the world, helping our employees. Like, th- those are the things I care about. Money at the end of the day, like, I wish it wasn't cliche to say, but, like, I don't care about money. But it's so beyond true. It's really hard to, like, tell people how good something smells when, you like, you're listening to it. You can't, like, audibly explain how good something smells. Right. Especially when... You you light the candle to kickstart a podcast. It sets the mood. Everyone's kind of on the same wavelength because the candle's been lit. But it's hard to like, you know, verbalize and and like help the listeners feel that. Other than saying it's lit, that's about it, right? Like I hope everyone knows that like when you light a, a soda sense candle, Travis Scott somewhere says it's lit every time. It's Without just, without fail. Without fail. It's proven, guaranteed with every soda scent order. Get yours today. If you've never ordered a soda scent, shame on you, first off. But second off, no worries. Promo code back pocket, get twenty percent off. Just wanted to take a quick pause and say thank you, interns, for, you know, obviously listening, but 
purchasing these mugs that we've been coming up with the last three to four months. I mean, we got Necklin, we got the Baby Yoda, we got our standard one, and uh, we just wanted to say thank you. But now we have another opportunity for you guys. Please listen up here. I think we need to get our listeners involved more with the customized mugs because they can be distributed and created on demand. So we want you, marketing interns, to come up with some creative ideas and jump into our DMs and send them our way. Yes, if you have any sort of mug, that concept or idea that you think would absolutely pop off, again, like Andrew said, please shoot us a DM and we'll workshop it and, you know, possibly put it out there. And in the meantime, head over to MetroMugs.com and check out the ones we have already and uh, let the idea start flowing. Absolutely. Use promo code BACKPOCKET for 20% off. Go get it. I was listening to uh, Tony Hawk on Joe Rogan yesterday, and he was talking about how he was able to skate for a living. Like he was one of like the front runners, the trailblazers yep. for skateboarding, and he uh, built a whole career and still to this day is doing stuff with skateboarding. And he's like blown away. He's like, I you couldn't you couldn't have written no. this and shown me like this is going to be your life. He would have said bullshit, and that's why he's still so humble. Mm-hmm. Did you see the story about the FedEx driver with him? No. This kid, this seven-year-old kid, uh, had a skateboard. He wrote to Tony Hawk on it and gave it to the FedEx driver. And he said, hey, can you give this to Tony Hawk? And the FedEx driver's like, okay. So the FedEx driver's in his truck. He made a video. And he's like, I don't have Tony Hawk's address. He's like, this is such a long shot. But like, he's like, Tony Hawk, this kid wants really wants you to have this skateboard. And Tony saw it. And he's like, dude, here's my address. Send it to me. I'll send him this board. And he holds him a brand new board. And like, it happened. And I'm like, God. He's a legend, and he still is doing those things every day. Mm-hmm. But I still – part of me, that, like, just makes sense to, in my mind for Tony Hawk and any and, – and just because, like, you want to make someone feel good. Correct. Like, and, and he – so I, my brother told me about this recently. Like, his original deal for the video game series, like, he worked out a deal where he got, like, X percentage of sales or whatever. And he's like, all right, I'll probably make decent money out of this. And then the game blew up, and he made, like – they wrote him, like, a $4 million check or something in like a day Mm -hmm. and he's like i don't even know what to do with this so he literally gave like half of it away to charity that day because he just didn't he's like i don't need this much money right so and that was back in i mean the game started coming out in like 98 right 97 so like this is like early 2000s he wrote that check wow and then the game series has just obviously blown up since then and and he's i mean and he's still sponsored by skateboarding like he has so many different revenues and stuff it's just he's such a humble guy he is he was describing how like skating kind of took a tumble in the early 90s like Mm -hmm. 91 through 93 or 94 like three years of he like went from being at the top and then skate uh like instead of uh skateboarding vert where like the ramps it was like street. There's a lot of street skating. A lot of street yep. stuff came in, and all of a sudden, overnight, the stuff that Tony Hawk was doing was no longer no, cool because they were they were inventing so many more tricks uh, doing street skating, not vert. That's right. why if you look at the first like two games, like besides Bob Burnquist and Tony Hawk, there's so many street skaters on those games. Yeah, like people that invented pretty much every trick we know today. Right. So I'm yeah. gonna have to, I'm gonna have to watch that podcast. Bucky Lassick. Bucky Lassick, baby. Andrew Reynolds. Yeah. That cool. Would... Tony Hawk, I think uh, I was I came a little late to the pro skater rounds, but I think like Underground One and Two for the PS2, yep. those were like people my have, favorite. As long as people are into you know two of the games, I don't care where you fall in line with it. Like as long as you're into it and appreciate it, I'm in. Yeah, I like one through three is like, oh, that's my jam. Right, it's so fun. Did yeah. you ever play that game Skate? I did. I mean, I did a little bit. I played Skate Two at my buddy's house mm-hmm. quite a bit, but it right. just doesn't stick I'm same. just not into modern video games like 
I'm a total like if I literally sit down and play video games, I'm playing Tony Hawk one through three. I'm playing Aladdin for SNES. I'm playing Hook, like all those classic games. Like I don't own a modern system, and now that the Tony Hawk one and two reboot is coming out, I might have to, I, I might have to steal somebody's system or buy one for mm-hmm. a month, play the games, and then I'm good. I think you with have you ever gotten like an Xbox 360 or an Xbox One as part of like a we, we get them every day. Yeah, there you go. We get systems. Easy. We get systems in every single like we did a um like three weeks ago we uh a job came in and it was like legit fourteen hundred dollars worth of video games that I I looked at the two boxes I'm like all right there's some like I I'm pretty in tune with the prices of video games and stuff mm-hmm. um. So I called up the dude, like we have a guy that resells stuff on eBay, like kind of in-house. Nice. Um, and I called him up. I'm like, hey, you might want to come over here. So he came through. We hashed it out for about 20 minutes, and he bought the games. And he goes and, he, like, we make money on the front end. He goes and resells it and makes his money. So we're all good. Damn. But, like, that day we got, like, a PS4 in with a handful of games. So my brother took that. Um, but the rest of it, like, yeah, I could hold on to it, but, like, I don't. Again, I don't back need to our conversation, I yeah. don't really need it. No, and it's literally free in front of me. Like, I got paid, you yeah. know, there's a, we got paid to process that stuff. Right. So, Well, I also think another part of uh, your your story is, like, you're a very routine guy. Oh, yeah. Like, to the core. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're people, incredibly routine. I think people get annoyed with how routine it is. Yeah, like, the fact that you have Chipotle. Every single day. Every single day. Oh, uh, what? I have it come on <laughs> it's crazy dude do you have a how many free burritos have you gotten from your chipotle tattoo in your so life? i have a chipotle tattoo and back when i was in a band i used to get free burritos for it not like every time i went but the the, the studies show about seven out of 11 times uh when i did the you know back end math and stuff um i love how you went with 11 7 11 well, great brand that's because <laughs> that's because i was in san diego for a month for work and i ate at 22 different chipotles when i was in san diego mm-hmm. and i got free burritos at 14 of them so you know just divide it in half and right math and stuff you know okay stuff. okay right, so bad. yeah so fuck me so, <laughs> so anyways the yeah long story short i paid 20 bucks for a chipotle tattoo and by my calculations it's at least over 800 dollars, probably upwards of a thousand dollars of free chipotle over 100 burritos that's insane. What's the tattoo? It's literally just the pepper. It's right. I need a filler piece. Oh, you piece. gotcha. Like the actual logo. It's right here. Yeah. yeah it's this little pepper. It doesn't say Chipotle or anything. Yeah. So I had a cadence. Actually, I blew Steve's mind, which is like, that is top notch for me. Like, impressing Steve is like my Steve goal. Weigel. Oh, yeah. My goal. <laughs> and uh, I told him, I was like, dude, this is how it works. When you walk into Chipotle, you start ordering, and then right as you're in between the person putting the meat on and the salad person, you tell them what you, or salad, uh, salsa person. You know, you tell them what you want. You're like, I want hot sauce, sour cream, cheese, lettuce. All right, they start making it, You're good. And then you look at the cashier. You're like, hey, by the way, do you do free burritos for Chipotle tattoos? And they, like, chuckle a little bit. There's like, oh, no, that'd be funny if we did, though. And then they, like, look down, and they look back up at you, and there's like, wait, do you actually have one? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, why would I lie to you? I say the same thing every time. And then if she is like, no, sorry, we don't do that, you have the salsa girl's attention, and you might have the person putting the rice on it. Yeah, tortilla guy. Yeah, tortilla guy. So one out of three of them is for sure going to be like, oh, like, yeah, I'll for sure give you a free burrito. Or they'll be like, yeah, let me ask my manager. The manager comes out and either is in a pissed off mood or thinks you're the greatest person in the world. And then there's like, yeah, I give it to him for free. Dude. And I explained this to Steve. He's like, all right, like, that's cool that that happened once or whatever. And I took him to a Chipotle in Minneapolis here, and it happened word for word. Like, I could not have wrote it out better. And he was just, like, dying. By like, he couldn't even order his burrito. He's like, I can't believe what just happened. It's a winning formula. Oh, yeah, every time. 
And I used to do it on the because we're in new cities every single day. Like when I was on the road, mm-hmm. like every single day we'd stop at a Chipotle and we'd be in a new city and I would just do the same thing. It's incredible. We got to keep unpacking this routine. So Chipotle every day. Chipotle every day. Um, pretty much working the same hours every day, like 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. usually. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I mean, I'm working at, at our building from 7 till 6 or 7, and I've been doing a ton of woodworking from 7 till 10. Is uh, there a same thing you do every morning? And, like, is, is that, is I just, it, does it get that specific? I, I mean, I just wake up. I'm not a morning coffee dude, so I wake up, get in my truck, go to work, see where the day takes me. Like, every day at work is different. Like, I have sure. different priorities. Um, especially now that we're getting into different businesses and new businesses, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, and that's seven days a week. It's not, I mean, Sundays, like I'll sleep in a little bit, but I book things like Sundays. Typically I do a lot of commission work for woodworking. So I like book somebody to come over to my house at nine or 10 AM to work on commission work, do video work so that I like force myself to wake up and have a productive Sunday. Gotcha. So smart, but it just never stops. Don't you get Starbucks in the afternoon too? uh, But not anymore because they kind of. The one by us, like, shut down. They're not open. There's a couple open oh, in Milwaukee. Because really? of COVID? Yeah. So there's a couple open in Milwaukee, but I'm not about to drive. And honestly, like, it's a bad habit for me, both financially and just environmentally. Like, it's not a good move every day. So I've been saving, you know, $3.29 every single day. And that's where we come in uh, with Busy Coffee, Busy Cold And this is my first day having it, and I'm in love with it. Sweet. Yeah. Dude, perfect. All right. So we'll, so, we'll, we'll ship you a few bottles. I'm in. How, what, how long are you here for? Are you till Monday? Monday, okay. I'll, see I'll be back at some point. Don't okay. worry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just anyway, see if we can send it's you. The greatest city in the world. I gotta come back. Minneapolis. Minneapolis. Oh, it, greatest it, city I, in the world. People ask me every day, like, if you didn't have things going on in Milwaukee, would you move up here? And I, yeah, in a heartbeat. Interesting. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Because mainly because of the people. Like, I've been to like cities that are obviously like top notch. Like I lived in San Antonio for a month. I lived in Denver for a month. San Diego for a couple months. Um. But none of those are fun because I didn't, like, know anybody. Like, obviously, they're beautiful, gorgeous cities. But, like, if you don't know anybody there, like, it's it's only so much fun on your own. Right. Whereas Minneapolis, I met the just life-changing people. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even put it into words. It goes back to uh, Krakauer's book, uh, Into the Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, happiness is uh, is shared. It's is, mm-hmm. is most found when yeah. shared. Like, meeting Steve at the Milwaukee Warp Tour, that's how we, him and I originally met. Yeah, Steve um, with the Ivy brand. You're wearing his shirt right yeah, now. Of course, baby. Um, I met him randomly at Milwaukee Warp Tour, and since then my life changed so drastically. It is insane. What do you mean? Like I I met him, and then when I came up to Minneapolis, like eight months later for well, was, how'd you meet him? What what was he doing? He was selling longboards at Milwaukee Warp Tour, and I like I was like I like walk past his booth because everyone's selling band T-shirts. Like you don't see longboard sales at milwaukee warp tour or any warp tour if, if you will what's a warp tour it's like where all the metal and hardcore bands and punk bands like it's their summer long tour gotcha. um it, it was, was it was a pop and tour back like when oh in the late, out boy in and... the late 90s it was like green day um rage against the machine blink 182 would be on the same tour and then like 50 bands you had never heard of gotcha so they put up like 10 stages it's a one-day event in each city so every day they set up in Minneapolis. The music starts at 11 a.m. It ends at 10 p.m. They pack everything up. They drive to the next city. It happens every day for like uh, 70 days straight throughout the summer. Killer. It is a, it is one of the most brutal tours to be on. I've never done it fully. Um, we played the Milwaukee date a couple times. But like if you talk to any artist that has been on it, they'll be like, there's no tour harder to do, but also more rewarding. So, um, But then Steve, like he somehow had an in, and he was on like 
five dates in California and then three dates in the Midwest. So he got to set up a booth and sell his longboards. And I like walked past him. I'm like, that's interesting. And somebody's selling longboards here. Um, and I just started talking to him and this is the summer that I started my business. And he's like, yeah, I just started this longboard company last year and I'm just, you know, kind of running it and seeing where it takes me. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, good luck, brother. <laughs> and then I like walked away. I'm like, wait, like I've been interacting with 50, 60 business, 50, 60 year old business people like the past three months in business. I'm like, I don't meet 20 or 30 year old people that own their own business. So I'm like, I'll go back and talk to this dude and like pick his brain a little bit. So I'm like, hey, like, I don't want to buy a board off of you, but like, can I just sit and talk to you for a while? Like, sit in your booth? And he's like, yeah, of course. Like, knowing Steve now, like, that's, that's no, a no brainer. brainer. <laughs> um, and Amanda Johnson and Eric Bear were in the booth, too. They were with him. Uh, Who, Amanda Johnson. So she's, she was like, uh, kick, like, she kicks it with the M House and has done some of their music videos and stuff. Okay. She cool. works for a Harvest Film Company. Oh. With JJ. With JJ. Yep. And then Eric lives with Steve. Okay. So he's like one of his best friends. Sweet. Um, so I met all three of them. I sat in their booth for three hours that day and talked to them. And I'm like, this, these people are incredible. And then at the end of it, I felt so bad just like e- extracting so much value that I bought a board. I'm like, I feel like I need to buy a board. And Steve's like, no, dude, don't. I'm like, no, here's 200 bucks. And he gave me a board. And then, of course, Steve like sent me like the next day. He's like, hey, give me your address. And then he sent me like a ton of Ivy gear because I bought a board off of him. So like right then I was like, all right, this is beautiful. I love this guy. All right. Um, I had a job cleaning out a building downtown Minneapolis like a month later and I had four nights to clean it out and it was brutal. Um, we were working like 17 hour days and I hit up Steve right before we were coming up there. I'm like, Hey, you want to make like 15 bucks an hour cash? Like I need somebody to push carts down an elevator. He's like, all right, cool. So that's like Steve and I is one of our first interaction was him working for me. I'm like, Hey, here's a cart full of stuff. Push it to that truck. And he did it for 10 hours straight. But he needed money. Like, that's just what you got to do. You got to hustle. Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, he tells a story about when he was living in Northeast. And yep. he, for the longest time, I think when we were talk- interviewing him, he was still living out of his uh, studio. Studio. Yeah. And he had a gym membership to take showers. And, yeah, you just you can bare bones it more than you think. There's always ways to, you know, take a step back in life and spend less money and live with less. Always. So, um, yeah, he was like super happy to work for whatever 15 20 bucks an hour we paid him mm-hmm. um and then i was up here for six weeks for work and he's i was like hey like do you want to get coffee sometime like i'd love to actually like you know know you more and become friends with you he's like oh i have an ivy launch this friday why don't you come and kick it i'm like all right i walk in the room and there's like 200 people there and i only know steve thankfully amanda and eric were there um yam house played that night and I was just out of the music industry, so I was just like, who are you guys? Like, I went up to Lawrence, and I'm like, who are you? Like, he's like, oh, it's a local band. I'm like, no, you're not just a local band. You guys are incredible. Like, I've seen a lot of bands play. Nothing like that ever. Um, so I met them that night. I met Zach Windall that night. Just, ev- like, everyone I talk to now, I met that night. And then that's what oh. Prop did, going on the sailing trip, going to, t- like, everything. Life-changing. It's crazy. That's, like, and I love that Steve is such a he he has like a great personality first and foremost and he's just a really loving and caring guy but what he's been able to do with building not only a brand but a community oh yeah the community is exactly what you're experiencing right exactly and ever since i left music i've never had like the beauty of music is like you go on tour and you get to go to these cities and meet this like you get to hang out with your friends and meet some people but then you don't see them for four or six months at a crack like 
until you visit that city again and play a show, you won't see those people. Mm-hmm. So like having friends in Minneapolis is honestly kind of the same thing. Like I make it a point to come up here every three to six months and see my people and like hang out and like, it's kind of the same ideology, but yeah, the community part of it is that's endless. Cause I haven't had that even like during music. Like, yeah, I had friends, but that was just kind of by proxy. Like I was just around those people all the time, but sure. this community of people is so, just inspiring and just like different in the best way right so well and that's why like it, it it was really cool to like see that at in in full like on this thailand trip and just seeing all these different people oh, yeah. from all different walks of life who are like yeah i know steve <laughs> exactly like how do you know and, steve? And, how do you know steve and day to day like i think i like because milwaukee is not a super innovative progressive city so like me owning a couple businesses and just working all day like that's not a common thing um, like people just like kind of work their job, go to watch sports, like drink beer. Like that's just kind of the routine for most people. So to be surrounded by like the Ivy community where like most people own businesses, most people are pursuing stuff and working at something 24 seven and are passionate. Like that's the people I need to surround myself with. And like, I don't even know where I would be without Ivy. It's I can't even put it into words. Don't even need to worry about it. No, man. I don't. And we're here in it. You're living it. I know. You're living it. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's freaking so cool. Mm-hmm. God, that's amazing. Full circle, too. I oh. mean, meeting all those people. Talk about, like, the guys at Yam House, when we first met them, uh, Declan got to see him when he went down to Rochester and saw Gary V speak, and they were playing at the after show. And uh, Declan came back up and, like, told me how awesome Gary V was and whatnot. And he's like, but but really, dude, I met these guys at Yam House, and we're gonna, yep. and we're gonna throw a Halloween party in a couple months, and they're gonna play in our backyard because these guys, their sound is so unique, and they are just so passionate about what they do. We need to be as close to them as possible. Yep. So, my Milwaukee friends are so beyond annoyed that I talk about them so much because they're just like, <laughs> but they haven't like until they see them, they don't get it. I'm like, dude, you want to come to the Yam House show? Like, it's gonna be so fun. There's like, dude, like, chill. Like, this band can't be that good. And then the second they see them, there's like. <laughs> and we come from like hardcore metal world so like we're all like standing there with like mad tattoos just like looking like who are these posers and then they play you're like oh my god i love you <laughs> and you like turn into a fangirl oh my within, god within seconds yeah. and that with like two beers in you oh yeah it's, yeah it's incredible it's ridiculous so yeah meeting them and like i don't know it's just it's a bunch it, of good people it's just like a fun like life thing like I, i've been watching Andrew and I have been just through the last couple of weeks just been watching like documentaries and I just always can't help but think about like you know it's it's so much fun to watch a documentary on a on someone that you know so little about but, but it to means watch it so... happen in real life right now with somebody that you know is going to happen right you know you already know the end state of like what Yam House could be in three or five years exactly and you're watching it live right it just like the the mindset of live your own documentary yeah like, I was watching the Jordan documentary um, the past, yeah. whatever, five Sundays, and then I came to work and, like, told my brother about it, and my brother hasn't even watched it yet, but he's, like, the biggest Jordan fan, mm-hmm. And but he lived it in the 90s. I was like, yeah, they talked about this during the flu game and this, and he's like, yeah, I watched that when I was 10 years old, like, got it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, like, he, like, same thing. It is very similar. Yeah. It, well, I was even saying, like, for, for, like, for your brother who lived it is so much different than for us oh, to, yeah. to watch it now having not been able to live it it doesn't even seem like real life though you're just like oh they're just like they just made a movie but it's like no that was real life that was real life yeah like but you can't script that stuff better Mm -hmm. like there's a reason he's the greatest and 
it's just wild watching back. You're like, okay, this did actually happen in the nineties. Yes. Like yeah. wild. Well, we, we got to tap into the beastie boys documentary that was just released on Apple TV. Um, and then, uh, the, the Barstool documentary that's on YouTube. Yep. Um, and then Jordan, but between those three documentaries, you just see the resemblance of like, walk your own path, do what you think you love to do and try to, you know, have a give back mentality behind it. And dude, you're gonna, you're gonna live a great story. Dude. Yeah. Passion is literally everything. Mm -hmm. Like if you don't know what you're passionate about yet and you're just pursuing something like it's, you're kind of lost right now, but the second you find your passion, it'll make sense and it'll click. Yes. It's my favorite thing to talk about. And that give back kind of uh, mindset is different in, in every story. So like oh, yeah. Michael Jordan, his give back mentality was like he's going to push every single person competitively around him as much as possible. Yep. And he, they will rise to the occasion if they see the value. Hence why Kobe became such a good person and a good basketball player because he learned from Michael. Like, what more can you ask for? What more can you ask for? He was his hero, and that's like just an Correct. ultimate kind of achievement yeah. type of thing. Then you look at like Dave Portnoy and with Barstool, his give back was like he wants to give voices to people that, you know, are behind their computer that don't you don't really necessarily see all the time. But he's going to, you know, pull them out from different cities and give those people voices. He can see talent and put those people in front of the audience that they deserve. Mm -hmm. And then that he was able to scale that model. And now look at Barstool. Yep. And then you look at the Beastie Boys and those guys, like Deck and I love, we'd say we're the Beastie Boys now because we absolutely love what they did. The Beastie Boys of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from in the 80s and 90s, they were like the voice of this creative energy that was just so unique. Mm -hmm. um, and well, they, they stuck out like a sore thumb because like 80s rap wasn't really anything. And for two or three white guys to get into the rap scene in the late 80s yep. and have incredible success. Rick Rubin was their first producer of their uh, License to Ill album. Uh, and if you go back and listen to that album, like, it rocks, dude. Like, it's so good. <laughs> I got to watch that documentary. It's yeah. so – dude, it's a really cool format on how they do it. So the BC Boys uh, went on a – like, uh, it's it's two of the guys. One of the guys passed away from cancer in 2012. Got Adam Yao, Or, yeah. Andrew Yao. No, Adam. It's Adam Yao. Okay. MCA. Uh, anyway, so two of the two of the three are alive, and the two guys went on a tour across America and just talked about their story, like keynote speak with mm -hmm. a massive screen behind them, and then they chopped out the best parts and put together a live documentary. So when they scra flash the old scenes and yeah. interviews and things to keep the context of the of their story going. That's just what, as the viewers in ho at home see physically, and then it'll cut back to them on stage S talking speaking about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like it's a live voiceover, which that's is wild. Super cool. Super unique. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I've never it. seen anything like that before. So that's so rad. Andrew and I are like, that's a fun format to like produce or. Oh yeah. Just, first of all, the way the way that they did produce it and present it is wild in itself. But mm -hmm. that's also, where we that's where we come. Oh yeah, the production value. Yeah. yeah, but then the story is like, oh, that's also incredible. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And like that's the part of that. I know you had said a little bit earlier, like, oh, if you don't have your passion, like, find it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also kind. Of, that's just like the finding and the tasting part is also part of of the journey. Oh, it look definitely at is. All of these stories again, back to the Beastie Boys or any of these people, you can tell that there is like they just were like, yeah, I kind of like this, so I went into it. And then you you throw yourself into it. You find one. You find one similarities or, and you find things to execute on. Yeah. yeah, and then that just helps you build for the next thing you throw yourself at, like, and and the next thing and the next thing, and then ultimately you find and you look up and you're like, 
um, the Beastie Boys, uh-huh. you know, something like that. Like, I thought playing music on stage was my passion. I thought that that was my everything. And then I tour managed for that one tour. And I'm like, dude, this is what I should have been doing the past 10 years. Like, it's it's weird to say, but like being behind the scenes and managing artists and making sure they're all good. That's where I get so much fulfillment because I'm not a great musician or a guitar player. Like, I'm just not. It doesn't come naturally to me. Um, but like being on the behind the scenes and executing really well as a tour manager, like that's, I got so fulfilled every single night. Mm-hmm. So, but I would have never found that had I not been, you know, play, willing to taste yeah, and try, but been able to play guitar and get the opportunity to go on this tour with these bands. And then obviously the tour manager didn't show up. So, um, yeah, I mean, everything adds up in life, but the thing is you have to taste a bunch of different things. You don't know what your favorite food is until you've tasted it. Like, you can have a favorite food for years, and then you taste something else, you're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. Yeah, how have I missed out on this? Yeah, yeah. so, like, it's that same mindset with what you're passionate about and whatnot. And then once you figure it out, dude, life is so simple and easy. Like, people put money and money as the North Star of success, but the second you find your passion, like, you're like, all right, if I can do this every day full-time and get paid for it, I won. That's just what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 98% of society lives as... You know, money is the North Star. That's what success is. And then they get the big house, they get the car, they get all these things, and they're just not happy. And then there's people that are making $40,000 a year that found a way to make money talking about whatever on YouTube. And they're passionate about it, and they're just, like, so happy. And that's, like, I'm always going to go this way. Yes. And I just learned that very early on. And, like, explaining that to people and giving them tactical things to execute on to potentially achieve that, like, if they have that passion and that vision – then, like, if they can go in that route, like, that's all I want in life is to hopefully guide people this way. Mm-hmm. Right. Because society just leads you this way, and it's just so backwards to me. We get so much energy when someone comes on the show and, and shares exactly that. Yeah. Like, they are following their passion. They are, they're, you know, they see you see them at the grassroots early stages, but they have this ultimate vision of, like, creating this life oh, yeah. for themselves, and they get to articulate it on the show, and we're just sitting there like, good for you, man, like, Fuck yeah. You just, you can see it in people. You can hear it in their voice. Mm -hmm. And like, I've owned my own business for four years now, which is a blessing. And now we're starting all over. And some people are like, oh, like you made it the past four years in your businesses. And I'm like, I truly haven't even started yet. Like we just started a few businesses this past few months here. Um, And like, I still feel like we're at step one again, which is great. But like, I still get to live it out every day and building businesses that are around like saving the environment and like doing good in the world is all I care about. So the opportunity to redo it all again, like it's, I don't, I don't need anything else in life. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so. even like the idea of, of like redoing is, is kind of like a, a weird uh, juxtaposed thing to say, because you're, you're redoing from the, from the final step of the previous project Correct. that you had. Yeah. So like the perspective you have, but if but the beauty is, if you enjoy the process, Ooh. you're good. You have to enjoy the process. You guys love sitting down and doing, like, if you're a podcaster, but you love just sitting back and watching your videos grow and love watching the views of it, then you're going to lose. But if you enjoy sitting down and having the conversations and learning, you're going to win because you enjoy the process of the podcast. You enjoy setting up the cameras, getting the audio good. You you love all those little things that go into it. The results and the views and the you know glory at the end is just bonus. But if you enjoy the process of it, dude, game over. Done game over did you articulated it perfectly yeah game over yeah like i don't i like the day that my brother and i run out of businesses to grow or things to do like my, our warehouse is almost completely built out after three years of owning it and i am so sad 
because the second that I don't have a project to work on in our warehouse, I'm going to be miserable. Because, like, like, going there every day and finding something to fix and finding something to build out. Like, we're about to build out a soundstage in, like, this 2,500-square-foot area. And I think that might be the last thing that we can truly build out. And I'm just like, this is – I have to buy another building now. Like, yeah, there'll be a next thing. Yeah, because our built, like – man, I don't want to – like, our building is my everything. Like, and what it was – like, we literally have, like, 50 photos when you walk in the building to see what it was versus what it is now is just life-changing. Because it, it was an oil factory that they had like a half inch of oil and grease on the floor. There was a foot of water in the building the day we bought it. It was flooded. There was 56 oil tanks. It was an environmental nightmare. Like it should have just been bombed and started over. And we bought it that day and just started from square one. And like most people walked in, like the realtors that were in like fancy shoes and a nice suit, they're walking in. There's like, I'm not going to let you buy this place. And my brother and I, our eyes are lit up. And we were just, dude, we were kids in a candy store. I dreamt, I literally dreamt about buying that building for months. And then finally the opportunity came in the craziest way possible and we bought it. And like, that's all I care about. (laughs) You own a building and you made it into your dream. Exactly. We turned it from an environmental nightmare into a business now where we recover ways to keep things out of the landfill. Mm, To help the environment. Exactly. So we mitigated the risk of the building itself and what it was doing bad for the environment. And now we use it as a facility to better the earth every single day. So do you think that there's... Do you think that there's other buildings that are oh, very similar to this? Uh, not as bad. But do you think there's environmental, like, buildings that are about to be become environmental hazards and... Or are environmental hazards, yeah. Like or ours, are currently, like that ours, you could turn into what you're doing like now. Like, ours was abandoned for eight years because... Wow. Yeah, because the DNR came to the building owners and said, if you keep, like, we're not going to allow you to keep um, running the way you are because it's such, it's so bad for the environment. Yeah. So they said, either you fix all these things or you shut down. And the business is like, we'll shut down. So they let it sit vacant for eight years. And people wanted to buy it and buy it because it was so cheap for the square footage that it is. But the problem is you had to go through the DNR to fix all the problems with it. And nobody wanted to take on that risk. So they would be like, yeah, we'll buy it full price. But all the legal issues that we could get into with the DNR of fixing it up has to be on the onus of the old owner. And the old owner is like, no, I'll let it sit. So yeah, finally, we were the first people to come in full price cash offer as is done. Take wow! And the crazy man. thing is, so we we saw it March third of, um, twenty seventeen. That was the day that we walked through the building, and my eyes were just like lit up. And then that week, we're like, "All right, can we buy it?" And the realtor's like, "No, they have three full price offers on the board, and you guys don't have any money." And we're like, "Fair, <laughs> like <laughs> good point." Yeah, good point. So, and then we looked at forty more buildings in the next three months to buy because we were outgrowing the current space we were in, i.e., my backyard. Um, and that building stuck like every building I compared back to that first one that we looked at. So we looked at these next 40 and we're like, man, like that would have been a dream to own that thing. And then in May, and we went through seven realtors because no realtor could find the one that we, the building that we needed. They weren't, you know, helping us as a customer. They were just showing us properties. We're like this, like we said, we needed this and you gave us this. It just wasn't clicking. So finally we met a dude and we're like, we're like, hey, we want a building that's like this one. He's like, why don't you just buy that one? We're like, because it sold a few months ago. He's like, it didn't sell. He's like, I can, I can get you that building. And we're like, we've heard that before, like from other realtors. Like, don't just pull our chain here. He's like, no, I'll get you that building. So in May, he walked us through again, and the three full cash prize or cash offers like fell through. Um, and sure enough, he put like four months of work into getting that building for us because the amount of paperwork was just a nightmare. 
because we pretty much had to sign off on everything saying like we take full risk for this entire mm-hmm. property mm-hmm. Right. so then yeah like october 1st of 2017 we bought it and like it was just a dump it was such garbage and our employees walked in there it's like this is what you're excited about and we're like can you not see the beauty in this place <laughs> yeah and then and now and now a year later or like a year later and now three years later those same employees there's like how did you have the vision to see that like you just take something that's a complete piece of garbage and just turn it into what it is now your little safe it's, haven yeah it's just yeah. a little shined up piece of garbage now it's good. <laughs> yeah you buffed it up a little yeah bit. put some new lights in clean the floors that's about it that's awesome i know earlier you had mentioned about uh you know tasting and finding different things um that's really interesting of someone to say that for a guy who can't really taste anything exactly i do yeah he doesn't know this at all but uh so i have a very unique diet that you'll never hear again on this podcast or in life again uh so you know how people are like lactose and gluten intolerant and stuff yeah that's me okay which one both okay sensitive on both sense yeah sensitive stomach got it <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm fructose intolerant gotcha so how there's like high fructose, high fructose corn syrup yep, all that crap. and like yeah. natural sugar mm-hmm. the reason i say i'm allergic to sugar is because when people think of sugar they think of sweet stuff and like sugary that savory taste um that's why i'm allergic to so no fruits pretty much no vegetables minus like green ones because they don't have the natural sugars in them um and then no sweets damn so it's something you'll never hear again or see again in your life yeah but to clear to clarify it's it's not that you, like you your body so this is the best part of it like yeah. you so you said you have like a lactose sensitivity but you want to eat ice cream but you know you're gonna feel like shit later right yep so mine is it's like i can't eat ice cream as well because it has obviously the sugary flavor to it but if i put a a scoop of ice cream in my mouth like it would taste so bad to me i couldn't even swallow it so like my first line of defense if you will for the intolerance is it tastes bad to me interesting so if i smell something or taste it i know if i can or cannot eat it i don't have to go buy ingredients like people are like oh this only has two grams of sugar you should be able to drink it or eat it i'm like no it doesn't if it smells bad to me i'm not gonna have it so like that's the beauty of it at least it makes sense now why you're eating chipotle every day thank you because that's just like that is your spot that's your mecca hence why i have like Yes, I'm a very routine, consistent guy, and the reason I eat the same foods every day and drink the same things is because I'm pretty limited. I'm not going to go risk, you know, trying something else. Like, I know what I like already. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, fried chicken and Chipotle every day. Actually, Jonah called me yesterday morning. He was so pissed because it was like 8.15 in the morning. He's like, hey, like, what are you doing right now? I was like, I'm eating fried chicken. He's like, it's 8 in the morning. I'm like, yeah. They're selling fried chicken. (laughs) They're selling fried chicken. I'm fine. He's like, of course you are. So... That's just, yeah, this is my life. But so it's a, it's a unique diet. When I was born in 93, um, this University of Mississippi or Missouri or something did a study on our family because three out of the four of us kids have it. So I have four siblings or three siblings and only one of us doesn't have Whoa. this thing. And we're the only recorded family in America to have more than one kid with it. Dang. And it's like a super rare thing to begin it's, with. Too, yeah. Right? It's like a one in a hundred thousand case. So, wow. and the thing is they... Like, now, in 2020, they just started, like, developing, like, different things for it and researching it more. Like, there's not a pill we can take because nobody has it. It's it's not common. Right. So, but they started, like, they updated the Wikipedia page the other day on some new information about it. But they just never studied it. Gotcha. So, I actually got it. That was one of my last tattoos. I got the molecular structure of fructose on me. Wow. I got bored on a Friday night. There you go, <laughs> dude. Dude, that's so cool. Um, that's interesting. So, okay, so, like, you're... That's what that's that was the clarification I was I guess trying to make was the fact that like you you could 
throw a like a scoop of ice cream, but it would just would, taste would, gross. But I would puke. My stomach, I don't have the enzymes to break it down. Right. So, it, yes, it does taste gross to me, but at the end of the day, I also don't have the enzymes to break down sugar. Got it. So I have to, like, there. it's only happened once or twice in my life. Like, I ate a piece of coconut shrimp at a fancy lunch that I was at one time, mm-hmm. and I knew the second it hit my tongue, I couldn't have it, but, like, I was, like, surrounded by people in suits, so I was like, I have to swallow this. Eight or eight hours later, I was just puking my guts out. It was Damn. horrible. Yeah, from one piece. Like, coconut was not a good thing. <laughs> That's so, so crazy. But, but like, yeah, it's it's not as, I don't know. Like, I don't notice it because it's not like I'm trying new things every day that might make me throw up. Like, Yeah. Yeah, for a guy telling everybody to try new things, he <laughs> yeah. eats Chipotle oh, every day. And, and that's fried it. chicken. But well, <laughs> once you find your passion, you're good. Don't. Don't waver. Like, exactly. That's It's such a great metaphor. Once like Michael that. Jordan picked up a basketball, he didn't need to pick up anything else minus baseball bat, but that was a train wreck. But, like, he knew he was passionate about basketball. He just found it at an early age. But, like, mm. if I'm passionate about the environment and processing waste and Chipotle, why would I change my day-to-day routine? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I'm passionate about woodworking. Like, I'm good. And you're trying to get better at it every day, correct? I'm not, no. For the most part. I'm not trying to get better at it. I'm trying to... I don't want to say change the world, but like impact people's lives and surprise people with gifts every single day with woodworking. That's really where I see it going. I don't mass produce things to make money on it. I want to impact people and make custom pieces for people that bring them joy or surprise them with it, like whatever. What woodworking means to you, you're trying to get better at every single day. Say it it again. (laughs) Like what, like the actual idea of woodwork and what, you can bring to Correct. others how i can change people's lives yeah. and hopefully bring them a glimpse of joy or happiness like that's what i give a shit about woodworking is my avenue to do that gotcha and i enjoy like i'm just i just enjoy woodworking i just enjoy it as a passion of mine similar to the olympics where the torch is lit signaling that the games have begun back pocket is doing the same thing with every podcast and soda sense i know you guys as listeners might not uh, feel the smells or sense the smells like we do, but I'll tell you what, North Shore, by far one of my favorite candles. Go ahead and head over to Soda Sense and buy your candle using uh, promo code BACKPOCKET. It's B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E-T for 20% off your first order. Some call us, the Back Pocket and Metro Mugs, uh, as a conglomerate. We Some call us the pioneers of drinking things that's not coffee out of a mug from gin and juice to you know your dirty monkey to just simply water we're drinking everything but coffee in our metro mugs exactly and with that we would love you interns to please do the same send us a picture of you drinking your in quotes coffee out of your mug we want to be yeah we want you to be a part of this absolute dynasty that's to come here and we want you to join on the ship right now so head on over to Metro Mugs, get yourself a Metro Mug, join the Back Pocket community, and use promo code BACKPOCKET for 20% off. Mm-hmm. But, like, I want to do it to make difference in people's lives. Like, the other thing, like, the other night with Charlie, when I met Charlie Jabbly, like, making that piece for him in, like, three hours that night and then presenting it to him, the look on his face, I don't, like, I don't need to make money off of that piece. Like, that is worth it so much to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, Surpri- so, okay, so... The Charlie, the the Charlie guy. I need to. Can you give some context? Because I know he you, was like a. He was a producer for two chains. Two he was chains. two chains manager when he was like eighteen years old. 
This yeah. kid, his name was CEO Charlie. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that go. was his previous name, if you will. He walked around high school with a suit on, owned businesses, sold vacuum cleaners. At like 18 or 19, he started recording um, two chains with a camera and became his manager, won Grammys, won Emmys, all these awards. But he kept, he was, a, he was obese. He was like 350 pounds. And so by the time he was like 23, he was this overweight, but he was super successful, but he was overweight and his health was just not in good shape. And then he was diagnosed with a brain tumor at like 23, 24. Jeez. And he's like, I need to stop everything I'm doing in life. Like I need to stop, you know, being a businessman. I need to change my life around. So he took a year off of social media, disappeared for a year. He became vegan. He lost like 150 pounds. He, and then he said, I'm going to become a Nike athlete. I'm going to run an Ironman. And people are like, no, you're not going to do that. And he did it. He's in a commercial with Serena Williams, Kobe Bryant, all these things. He's in a Nike commercial. He ran an Ironman in Australia, which is like, that's not an easy task for any human being, mm-hmm. let alone somebody who was 350 pounds. And then, um, and the thing is he like made enough money to like, he pretty much retired whatever at 24. So he's like pursuing life in a whole different way now, not focusing on money, but just focusing on making his life better. And then also helping people's, um, pursue their passions and their dreams. So he biked across America last summer and along the way made people's dreams happen. So he like showed up to this random school in uh, Arizona and said that he's filming something about the school strike with all these teachers. So he's like, Hey teacher, I'm going to film you teaching your class. But what he actually did is he found out that teacher had cancer and was um, short on her bills and was in debt. So he paid off her entire mortgage of her house and bought her a car. Holy so he's traveling around the world, um, or around the U.S., finding about finding out about people's dreams, and then without them even knowing who he is, like making them happen. Like right. this this weekend, actually starting today in Chicago, there's this girl who's um, paralyzed, and she wanted to become like a musician or a singer songwriter. So he's flying in all these celebrities to meet up with this girl. They're gonna make a dance and make a song and make it go viral. So he is, and he literally wrapped a tour bus and says the Dream Machine tour. And he drives around the country and makes people's dreams come true. And literally just – that's what he does. That's his dream. And, and nobody know, – like, not that nobody knows who he is, but he's not, like, a huge celebrity. Right. Like, he is, whatever, 150. But what you're articulating, like, he should be a huge celebrity. Correct, He should yeah. be talked about he, uh, like he's, like, But he doesn't want – that's not his goal. That's no, not his, his goal is to make people's dreams happen. Right. And, and while he's doing all that, he wants to be in the NBA uh, All-Star Celebrity Game, um, and he wants to be the MVP of that game. So he's working on his basketball career. And he's like not a That's good, such a funny goal. like yeah, like he's not a good basketball player, but he's working on it every day on the back of the dream machine. He met somebody four days ago that custom builds things on RVs for people. So like he met him, he's like, hey, you're you're trying to become a basketball player, but you don't have a basketball hoop on your RV. He's like, I'm gonna build you one that comes out on the uh, dream machine. So he's literally getting it installed in like two weeks. Yeah. So so the other night that's Charlie. So yeah, how nuts so, is that? So the other night, and like I've followed him for years because his story is just incredible. Like they're gonna make like he has his own like videographer and he's made his own content, but they're gonna make documentaries about this dude for sure. And the other day I saw he's in Chicago, and I'm like, dude, he said he's coming to Milwaukee. I just don't know when because obviously he's like he's not gonna announce where he's gonna be. Um. So the other night I made him a piece that said dream. And I'm like, I'm going to find a way to find him tomorrow. One way or another. He's going to be in Milwaukee before I go to Minneapolis. And I'm going to find him. So then that day I messaged him and I messaged this dude of that he was with. I knew he was with on his bus. And I'm like, hey, I made this. I made something for you. I want to give it to you tonight while you're in Milwaukee. And he's posted some photos and videos that he was on a lake, um, like on a boat. 
I'm like, dude, those lakes look really familiar. And obviously, like, all lakes look the same. But this one had, <laughs> like, he's on water and there's trees around it. Got it. Got it. Um, but there was islands on this one. And I was like, he can't be in Chicago anymore. Like, this looks like southern Wisconsin. And there's only a handful of lakes I know that have islands this big on them. So I was like, I bet you he's in Delafield on those lakes, dude. And I drove over the bridge looking at the lakes at, like, 630 the other night. And then at 8 p.m., I got messages on Instagram saying, like, hey, like, yeah, we'd love to meet up. Uh, we're at this hotel in Delafield. I'm like, you, you were on the lake. I knew it. So I text him. I'm like, I'll be there in 30 minutes. So I raced home, grabbed the piece. And I raced out there, and he was just standing there in the parking lot. Okay. And and I gave him gave him the piece. He made a video of it because his mind was just blown. He's just and like, dude, it was just the best interaction. It was so good. And then th- that, um, then yesterday I got a text from a friend. There's like, dude, my mom saw this giant bus rolling around downtown Delafield. That was this giant colors and said Charlie Rockets Dream Machine. And my mom was so excited to tell me about this person and show me this person. She's like, I already know who he was because of you. Because I told her the night before, she's like, "What are you making?" I'm like, "I'm making this piece for that's called Dream for this dude named Charlie." She's like, "Okay, dude." And then like, <laughs> like he's just I don't know, he's life changing. Like him and Gary V are like just up there for me. Like I don't need to find anybody else or listen to anybody else really. Like I'll listen to like. Ed well, Ma- you haven't found anybody else that. I, you... But, I, but I don't need anything else. Routine, routine, baby. Mm-hmm. I can list like for like Gary V doesn't work for some people because he whatever he has a certain way he says words and like his content is redundant because he says the same things but they always resonate with me mm-hmm. and i'll listen to other people for a couple of weeks couple hours but they don't i get bored of it mm-hmm. so gary v has never i've just never gotten bored of his content I he just puts that. things into such perspective for me and like it just makes sense it clicks right so i love that yeah no that's dude that it's so cool how um like charlie's story is a great example of why giving oh yeah wins. that's why i don't want to build a business to make money like i'm building businesses right now it's not to make money at the end of the day it's to have impact it's to hire people that need to get hired because we hire from a pool of people that need a support system and help more than they need money like veterans and felons like that's who we hire from they're two groups of people from society that have done worse things in worse places for less reasons like, if you think about it, veterans and felons are actually very similar as far as their backgrounds. They both need support groups and a place consistently to come to every day. Not to make money, but just to have people around them to support them. And that's why we hire from that pool. So to hire more people like that that need a place to go to, um, to make an impact on the environment, to hopefully inspire people to pursue their passions. Like, that's those are all the reasons why I'm in business. It is not money at the end of the day. It, that's a byproduct, but that's not the reason why I do it. Right. So... Do you think that as you continue to grow and find new opportunities um, that you will be able to hold on to that impact or oh, yeah. have that similar kind of feeling? Because the second, the second I lose that feeling, I'll go do something else. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I guess it's and my, bro- now it's- my brother and I are very conscious of that. Like the mm-hmm. second we get, the second we're annoyed with like coming to work or we feel like something's redundant, we like start a new business or pursue something else. Right. But, because, you know, I, as the, as I'm sure some people are thinking this and I've brought this up to you before of just like, Oh, why don't you just take the next old oil building that's about to, that no one wants uh, in Colorado and then go do it there and scale there mm-hmm. and then go to Philadelphia, go to here, go to there, yeah. which you already did that to a certain degree at some point. Right. Yeah. I pers- Yeah. We, we were in an adventure um, where we started up 11, um, businesses across the country in different cities. Um, and that didn't 
interests me as much because I'm from Milwaukee. Like rehabbing a building in Milwaukee with people that I know and interact with and grew up with, like that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Like it's your hometown, you love it. Like yes, I could physically clean out a building in Minneapolis and make it different and make it sustainable, but like I'm not as passionate about it because it's not my hometown. So, I, like I I'm gonna find different ways to make an impact, but not what I've already done. Mm-hmm. Like I've already rehabbed a building. But, like, eventually, like, I want to do something like Charlie's doing, like, drive around the country and surprise people that they have no idea who you are and you buy them a car. Like, that would be the – that's the ultimate dream. Right. So. So nuts. So, like, I'll find ways to make an impact, but not, like, the traditional way that I've been doing it, I guess. Yeah, being on the the non-traditional path is is frightening. It's scary, and there's ebbs and flows to it. And – I'm curious, like throughout this journey, throughout, you know, kind of pursuing a non-traditional lifestyle, what's your average quality? What's something you've been doing well at times, other times not so well? And at the end of the day, uh, like this is your average quality. That's, that's a tough one. I think the biggest thing is, I guess, I don't know if this is going to fit in well, but I guess like just work ethic and tenacity and passion. Like at the end of the day, I can always rely on those three things, no matter what I'm doing. So even when I was... Like, out of our band, when we graduated high school, there were six of us. I was the only one not to go to college. The other five dudes went to college. And, like, college was never an option for me. It was not going to happen. Um, and my parents really weren't scared or questioning it at all because I knew I had the work ethic and tenacity to whatever I was going to pursue, I was going to do it well and with my whole heart. So right out of high school, I was working at a pizza shop and working at a print shop and as an electrician, and then I was going on the road. So, like... I was keeping busy, even though I didn't find the thing I was passionate about yet. Like I was still keeping up and I had a tenacious mindset towards life to just pursue something. Endlessly. So you'd say those are like your big time strengths. Yeah. And, and as long as I have those, like I'm not overly talented at anything in my life. Mm. Like this is You're what it comes down to. in that sense. I'm very average. Yeah. Like I have like, I don't know. I'm not a great woodworker. Like I don't know how to use a bunch of tools. Like I'm not a, a great musician. Like, but so talent really, it's a part of the puzzle, obviously, but it comes down to work ethic and tenacity. Are you willing to outwork somebody else? So that's why I've always relied on it. I love that. So, you, okay, so in your back pocket is tenacity, hard work, and just tripling down on oh, yeah. the things that you love to do. But your average quality is is talent. the things that you physically do talent yep. from, from that standpoint. But the, But that's the, I feel like that's part of the fuel that keeps you going as well. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm never going to be a great woodworker. I'm never going to be a great musician. I'm never going to be the best environmentalist ever. But, like, that's always something to strive for, to become a better one. Yes. But as far as work ethic and tenacity, like, even the business owner, like, I'm not an incredible business owner. Like, I get the concepts when we built businesses. But, like, if you look at, like, some of our P&Ls and numbers, be like, you made some very dumb mistakes in the past four years. And I'm like, yes, we did, because I'm not the best. Mm. But it doesn't matter. Like I just that pursuit of uh, becoming better at those things. But I don't know, just being passionate about stuff. Like that's all I care about. Right. And and like I said, like today it's building businesses, it's helping the environment, but I don't know if it's just from meeting Charlie the other night and just being surrounded by that, but dude, surprising people and making people's dreams come true. Like I, yeah, I'm so in love with it. The concept of it. 
it's amazing. It's it's something that you can only provide. It Correct. makes you it. It's not that it it gives you this power complex of like, oh, I'm this all almighty guy no, who that, can give you a car or can give you this thing. It's like, no, you you just gave them the opportunity to like accomplish a dream or something. That's what I live off of. So, and even Charlie the other night, he's like, dude, you got to write your dream on the dream machine. Like everyone's been doing it. And I just, like looked at him. I'm like, I like most people would have a dream come to mind. Like I didn't have anything. I was like, I'm good. Like. I don't need anything else. I'm living the dream. I was like, I'm, yeah, I hate being a white person saying I'm living the dream, but like, because <laughs> it's, <laughs> right? it's the most common thing. Like, oh, how so you, true. How are you doing today? I'm living the dream. Um, I say that every day. I literally say you. anybody, anybody. To, and so I, I got this actually from my boss. Um, he's been in the construction industry yeah. for 40 years, working for the same company. And um, I worked under him for the last two years on this past project. And no matter what, every single says, day, how you doing, Chris? Living the dream. Living the dream. How are you? It's shit white people say. And Right. No, very white. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. It's, it is shit white people say to yeah. a T. But It's like when they try a flaming hot Cheeto for the first time and be like, oh, that's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> shit white people say, dude. Seriously. I, I got to make that living a dream in, in a, into a meme because it's so oh, yeah. true. But it, but I looked at it as like this kind of like an, like an F you to the other person who yeah. were, you know, were in the middle of a firefight and it's you know, shit is obviously not going well. And for someone to then ask you knowing that it's not going that well. And then for you to respond saying living the dream. Yep. And I, and for me personally, I truly believe that I am living Correct. the dream. But 98% of people that say it, just say it because they are convincing themselves that they're happy, but they're actually not. But you, you actually know that you're living it day in and day out. Exactly. And then on top of that, it's like, Oh, they don't even think that I'm living the dream. No, they're like, they Oh, think, they think okay. I'm just saying it. Yeah. <laughs> That's when people ask, like, oh, how are you doing? I just say I'm doing just dandy. Right. Because no matter what, like, I'm always in a pretty good mood. Yeah. And if I was in a pissed off mood, I'd be like, I'm, don't, don't talk to me. I'm not right. in a good mood. But, like, that's very rare. So I would just say I'm just dandy. Like, right. I don't know. Well, and I, and I love the idea of, of, like, making that impact. Andrew put this little quote on his Instagram story last week, and it stuck with me, and I keep saying it over and over again, and it's, it's not about what you say, and it's not about what you do. It's about how you make people feel. Exactly. And if I love you can that. just do that over and over and over and over again, how you make people feel will ultimately reciprocate back into how you will feel. And, uh, you know, yesterday when you were driving up and had the whole Charlie thing, I was I had a, a call with our buddy uh, Jason Coons and his company called Best Christmas Ever. Yep. And uh, we're going to be – Back Pocket's going to be like a captain – we're part of the team now mm -hmm. and uh we're gonna go on a fundraising tour and then you know we get to choose a family in minneapolis to make their to make their dream come true and surprise them for christmas like dude that is and i got and, chills thinking and, about it i'm like dude and this is some, going to be amazing you're gonna be looking forward to that the next six months and waiting for that day i know and like I, I was just like give me the deadline so i know how to like kind of reverse engineer what we need to get done to exactly. make it happen you know logistically. but you're passionate about it like that moment is gonna be worth everything Oh, and, 100%. like, that's all, like, dude, that's the same thing. Like, I made a piece for Zach Wendall. Uh, it said Sunday because that's his company or whatever. And he's, like, the king of, like, sending surprises to people. Oh, nice. So I wanted to one-up him for once. And I built him this piece that said Sunday. I haven't talked to him in, like, six months. I got his address from somebody that he had no idea I had his address. And I just shipped him this piece. And I didn't write my name on it or anything. I just said, from the only person that loves surprises more than you. And, mm -hmm. like, he opened it up and his reaction made my entire week. Like I, yeah, that's, that's all I want. It's gold. It's phenomenal. So I don't know. That's eventually like I'll have my own version of dream machine or right. something and just like go around like that is just, 
it's taking your tour lifestyle that you really liked and then matching it and mashing it together Correct. with the and, other passions. That and you I have. think what it sparked from is when we were on the road playing music, there would be shows. The first time we played in Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, we had never played a show in Georgia at all. And Savannah's a super cool city. It's gorgeous. Yeah. There. And I pulled up and I'm like, all right, this is the best day mm-hmm. ever. Got a colonial feel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like brick roads, these trees that just overhang the streets in the most perfect yeah, that, way. Uh, Spanish moss. Oh my god. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um and I pulled in, we are playing the bottom of a pizza shop. And like I'm like, all right, this is great. Like you can fit like if we have thirty kids at this show, it's gonna be packed. And um we're playing and it's one of those shows where you're putting stuff on stage and you're like when it kind of feels like a chore, that's not a good feeling, obviously. Like, you want to be stoked that you're playing a show, but I'm like, there's like 15, 20 kids here. Like, we just had to load stuff down the stairs into this basement of the pizza shop. Like, whatever. Nobody's going to care about us. Nobody's going to buy merch. It's just going to be a, you know, shit show of a night. And we would always face our amps starting the song, or starting the set. And we hit the first chord, and these kids just go wild. And they knew every word to every song we played. And I'm just like... Stunned. I'm like... We're from Wisconsin, and we're not – and this is, like, our third tour, maybe. So we were not – this is even, like, after we built some, you know, some traction. And these kids just lost their mind to our set and bought so much merch. And, like, just turning around after that first note and seeing these kids sing every word to our set, dude, blew my mind. It didn't matter if those were the only two kids in the entire show. But then that night, we were loading up our gear, and I saw them, like, standing, like, whatever, 50 feet away, like, whispering to each other, just kind of looking at us. I'm like, you guys – like, you guys okay? They're just like, oh, like, we just wonder if we could, like, talk to you for a sec. I'm like, dude, I'll talk to you for hours. Like, <laughs> I'm the same age as you. And he's like, dude, like, just want to let you know, like, your album, like, got us out of a lot of dark places. And, like, we love you guys. You're our favorite band. And, like, just those words when I was, like, 20 years old, I'm like, this shouldn't be happening. I was like, I'm not a good guitar player. Like, this, like the fact that you're so impacted by this and you live 2,000 miles away from us is just, like, just mind-blowing dude and i think those moments of being in music really sparked that opportunity to impact people's lives because before it was inspiring people through our live show or our lyrics because we're a very like positive band so people would you know come out of dark places whether it was you know suicide or depression or whatever else like in the hardcore metal world that's like you know the emo kids in high school like they're, they actually are sad, and music is what keeps them going every day. Mm-hmm. So, like, that was the type of music we played. So, like, it meant the world to people. Hence why, like, half my tattoos on my body are from bands. Like, they pulled me out of dark places. Um, so being that light for somebody else, even if you're 2,000 miles away and just have that small interaction, that is, like, like, we could have 10 horrible shows in a row on tour and just be miserable and be like, let's go home. And then you have that 11th show where there's 30 kids and – you know, they're just losing their minds. And, like, you're just like, this, I'm never going to stop playing shows. <laughs> so that's just where it all stemmed from. Like, that opportunity to play music in front of people and impact people, that's where this passion, I, I guess, really just stemmed from. Mm. So, that yeah, that surprise factor, those. Well, it's just so cool to me, too. Like, the, the mentality. I'm reading The Go-Giver right now. Mm. And uh, it just talks about – it's it. I'm in the beginning chapters. I'm sure it, it grows more. But – uh, they're presenting this give back mentality in a very unique way to the sense that it's um, a surprise that you you should be giving back. Like mm-hmm. it's like a corporate guy who goes through this journey and then he finds this like all knowing uh, businessman who's super rich and everything. And he's like, yeah, the best way to do it is you just 
give it to him for free and don't ever ask anything of him. That's the, that's the biggest thing. Give me without anything expectation in return. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, like I sent that piece to Zach or whatever. I all I asked for was a video in return so I could see his reaction. That's all I care about. I was like, yeah. I don't need to I don't need to pay for shipping, pay for the piece. I was like, I don't need a shout out. I just want to see your reaction. That's it. Right. So I, I honestly think I get more value. Like I'm winning in that situation. Amen. And that's the coolest thing, right? Yeah. But you're also helping so many others. Like it, uh, that's what fuels me with the with the podcast, with back pocket. You know, if I, you have one if you get yeah, you get ten messages being like, Hey, this this episode like really changed my life and put things into perspective for me. Like that is everything. It's everything. That is worth the late nights, buying the equipment, you know, investing more time and energy when everything goes to shit and you get that message spark. I was able to impact influence positively with, with our creation and what you love doing and what I love doing. It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. And now you have to find a way to do that every day, make money doing it. Like you have to find a way to do this, Every day. Every day. Right. Yeah. That's where we're at. I mean, we we have like a, a cool platform, I guess. And you we, do. Like yeah. we get to just do this in our house, which is like a dream, honestly. And you, and you guys get value out of it because you get to meet and interact with cool people and learn new mindsets. And like you get value. You bring value to your audience. You mm-hmm. bring value to your guests. Like, And ultimately bringing value to ourselves. Like I, I always tell people this, like Andrew and I selfishly and unselfishly at the same time are the true winners. Like, we're the ones sitting here. We're the ones physically having the conversations. I'll go back and listen to the whole thing and write my notes down for each each minute that it happened. And I'll come across something at the hour 20 mark of something that you said that I really, that really resonated with me. And I'll eventually put that out as a social media post because I want more people to see it. But I'm also thinking from the listener, like, man, I really hope the listeners reach this part because that's going to help them a lot. You like, know, well, but how many people really actually get to that part, right? For a podcast, it's actually not bad. I can tell you that 40% of the people actually do make it uh, past the hour mark or whatever. And that's pretty impressive, the fact that, like, on Instagram, your average view time is three seconds. Yep. And the average view time on a podcast is, like, 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's wild. Right. It's 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 The amplitude of engagement is inc- much, much higher, which in return can influence and impact someone far greater and the fact that you're like passionate and know the numbers and like like i know you well, we didn't know the numbers until like quite honestly until they gave like started actually giving us that showing that data. Us, yeah showing you the data but the fact that you know it off the top of your head and you're passionate about it like that that's how you know you're you care about this a mm-hmm. lot yeah um, exactly but to like what you just said previously like you have to be selfish to be selfless that's the easiest way to put it like I'm very selfish with my time. I invest all my time into my businesses and my passions, but it allows me to be selfless. Like sitting in my garage doing woodworking is like people be like, oh, like why don't you – I'm friends with you. Why don't you come hang out with me and have a beer or whatever? Like I have to be selfish with my time to help make an impact in the world and be selfless to other people. Yeah, dude, hair on my arm standing up. It's, it's spot on. Yep. And, and, and the way that we've found – you know, to continue the back pockets influence and impact is tapping into more of our guests, like find who they love and bring them onto our show. Yep. So like, I'm curious if you know someone that's in your circle or you think that would be great for the back pocket to have on our show. From Minneapolis. I feel like everyone that you've had, like all, everyone I know from Minneapolis has been on here already. Um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's a sign that we are dominating the sandbox. You're doing good. Um, I mean, just obviously the, the Yam House dudes, the rest of them want to be a bad, uh, 
couple of candidates to choose from. Yeah, having because you only had Lars on, right? Well, we, we've had all of Yam House oh, yeah. on earlier at one t- like at well, one okay, so We okay. haven't really dived into you know Jake or uh, Jake, Zach, or Seth. Seth. I feel like having or those. their manager Droney. Droney Dr- P. Droney P. He's Bring a good dude. On. He's a very good dude. Love that guy. I saw him um, playing the sax. Uh, really? Yeah, he picked up the sax with their new song "Wow." Yeah, they did like a. Um, a uh, quick IGTV for um, Minneapolis Journal. Okay. And uh, it was just Lars, like, spinning on a rotating chair, and everyone was playing an instrument. And then they got to the sax part, and he rotates, and he goes, all right, Droney P, he's usually our manager, but now he's got the saxophone. It was electric. Time to sign, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it was electric. <laughs> That's sick. I, the the person that I um, that you've in the past told us to get on, um, who's actually from Minneapolis or, Minneapolis or St. Paul originally, uh, Quentin Allums, because you were on his show, right? Uh, yeah, he's a walking entrepreneur. Yeah. That's who. You, that, that is who you need to get on. I wasn't even thinking of that. Yeah. Um, Q is a very good dude. Yeah. Yeah. He does not like the Twin Cities, for the record. He hates Minneapolis, and that's where him and I just butt heads every time we meet up to get coffee or whatever. I'm like, dude, I just visited Minneapolis. I love that city. He's like, I hate it there. But he only knows it from the high school perspective of when he was a quiet, shy dude that just got made fun of, kind mm. of. And now he's an actual person. He's somebody, and he's in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's his hometown now. Like him and I, just roles reversed. Like I love Minneapolis. I want to move here, and he loves Milwaukee, and is just gonna stay there. Yeah, because he, he, that's where he built like his big brand and everything. Correct. And his different and dude, his story. Ventures. That's another story that is just, like very impactful. He was that quiet, shy guy that talked to nobody in high school, and like couldn't even talk, have a conversation. And now he's speaking on stages in front of hundreds of people and doing it flawlessly. Like he's one of my favorite speakers. He's very good. We hosted an event back in February where we had um, eight speakers for the day, and it was a pretty large conference. It was like 300 people, and I was stage managing that day, so I just literally got to sit in a chair and just make sure people get on and off stage properly. And when his speech came on, like I was like chatting like this with him and I, just like as buddy buddy. And then he got on stage, and he instantly just like becomes a celebrity in my head. Like I just love the words that he puts out and the passion behind it and everything. Mm-hmm. And he has such a story to tell. He does, and he's very he does the storytelling part very very well too. But, like the yeah. video that or go ahead. Sorry, he watches. I, I learned this the other day. He watches his speeches like people watch film for sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sweet. He says I should have, you know, done different hand gestures here. I should have emphasized this word or laid back here. Like he critiques himself so hard. Which, like, to me, speaking, like, I'm not conscious of how I'm speaking right now, interacting. Like, and even watching back, I'm like, oh, I could have done that, but I will not remember it for next time. So how he does that consciously while putting out words to hundreds of people is, like, that's mind-blowing to me. Your brain has to move pretty fast. Yeah, and my brother is the same way. My brother's a very good speaker on stage. Um, and he can literally get up in front of 10,000 people and just do it without even thinking twice about it and impact people and just, like, have a certain cadence and a certain just everything to him. But he's conscious of reading the audience and changing his body language and the tone of his voice to complement what they're uh, interacting with. And like, that is a skill that I'll never be able to develop. And that's fine because those people like do it so well. And I'm just impressed by it. So no, it's super Q is. Yeah. I'm trying to think of just like, like I know he doesn't want to come up into the twin cities, but I feel like we should come up with something that would, you know, obviously incentivize, incentivize him. Like, well, he'll, if he had like, I, I guess I need to dig more into like he his was, story. And he stuff. was up here when Gary V came here for that uh, video game thing. Oh, he came. Oh, yeah, up he's the, yeah, the Minnesota he, Rockers. 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 Yeah. yeah because he's big, like, anytime a video game thing is happening in Minneapolis, be like, hey, we'll pay for your ticket to come to yeah, this. Yeah, he's thing. huge into esports. Huge. Yeah. So, 
Um, and I think that's why I like him so much. He doesn't care what he should be doing as a business owner. He cares what he's passionate about. He's passionate about video games. He's passionate about speaking. And he just does those things every day. He executes on those things. Yeah. Regardless of what people thinks, think that he should or should not do as a business owner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so, he put together this awesome video of, like, he texted, like, 30, 40, 30 or 40 people in one host, day. Hosted that event. And then hosted the event where they just stood on a single block and he had a camera and everybody else was in the audience, right, that was invited. Yep. And, the, and and the, nobody knew why they were showing up to this event. He right. invited, yeah, like, 25, 30 people. And he said... I forget what the question was. It was like, what is your, what are you scared of? Or what, what are you, are you most, most fearful of? Fearful of. And people had to get on, and they, each person had a number when they walked in the room. Yeah. And so if you were number one, he said, all right, get on stage. And you stood up there and you had no idea. Where well, you're... he started. Yeah. He said, what are you most fearful of? And every single person in that room got on stage and, and spoke, yeah. honestly. Um, it was incredible. It's like a six minute video on LinkedIn. I think. Yeah. Well, so I will he, get it. If you're interested, just hit me up. I'll, I'll send it to you. He but... knows how to story tell. So well, phenomenal. Yeah, that's, that's, just, that's just his talent. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I wonder. Is, I, th- that's what I'm thinking. Like, I wonder if there's something about Minneapolis that I mean is breeds, part... breeds amazing humans. Yes, there is some <laughs> in the water. I'm no. I'm thinking like I'm thinking like for Q's for Q's like perspective of like where he came from and how you know Minneapolis is not a very positive part of his journey, but for him to come back and kind of show people what it what he used to be kind of it i'm trying to think of a store oh, a way to like tell that story i just don't know enough about him yet i don't think he cares enough to impress the people that didn't appreciate him back in the day right that's yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't either like it, he would be he would be very selfish in that regard and not in a selfless yeah. way like yeah. he would only be doing it for self-gratification but yeah. he just kind of started over at yeah. whatever 23 circling 25. back to tony hawk that's he's like i'm not on a revenge tour to like bash my high school friends that were like why is a skater punk kid doing what he's doing he's like he's not doing this to he's get back it. at them no that's not the... and people are gonna bash you regardless of what you do so you yeah. might as well fucking pursue what you want right yeah you're gonna get negative feedback no matter what you pursue in life 100 percent yeah. No, I and mean, you know what? That's probably Q will be up here eventually one of these days. Yeah. I just need to make sure he knows that he needs to come on this podcast. Or when we host so you guys have Boatella. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, your yeah. party. You August know, 8th. You know where I'm going with this. Yes. The party in my backyard. It's gonna be like the ninth annual PBR in Porta John. The, <laughs> the party that we started when we bought our house that I currently live in, my brother started it and it was literally uh like ten and nine, ten years ago a hometown bar flooded the basement flooded so all their beer and liquor technically goes bad they can't resell it but it's still fine um so he cleaned out this basement of the bar and had a room full of beer uh booze and so he's like screw it we have pbr i'm just gonna rent a porta john we're gonna host a party and pbr and porta john was born and we had like six or seven of them and every year just kept growing and growing and growing and it's pretty much just a huge backyard bash we burn pianos in the bonfire pit <laughs> we have obviously every game set up full catering full booze it's just free invite just come hang out i literally literally live in between a school and a church so there's enough parking for everybody um back in the day we used to like set up like we used to set up like three or four campers in the yard for people that needed somewhere to crash Mm -hmm. like it was just all out so we'll put that on back pocket will come down we'll have some live music you can interview q done easy perfect if if the summer goes as planned and if things kind of work out what's the tentative date third weekend of july is typically when it is I think you should be fine. Yeah, with Wisconsin too, because aren't they already opening up already? They are, but obviously, it's no matter what the government says, people are going to still have their views on it. So, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm definitely right in the middle. Um, Aren't we all? uh, 
no. Sorry, I, that I, doesn't make any sense. We're not all in the no, middle. No, trust me. <laughs> I had, I had to uh, divide up a family fight this past weekend because two of my siblings are not in the middle. They're here yeah. and here. Yeah. And they both yeah. called me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm the youngest. I should not be solving your guys' problems. Yeah. Don't make me the middle man. Yeah. yeah. It's just weird that like a virus that's very just like blatantly scientific and it is a part of the world we all live in, no matter what political side we are on. But there's two still... different but there's two different sciences to it. No, is there though? The thing is, the problem with all this is that whatever you want to believe in, whether it's a conspiracy, whether you want to believe this scientific belief or this scientific belief, there's enough research and opinions in any category to read and, and you know, take in yeah. to convince yourself that your opinion's right. hundred percent. Oh man. So like my brother has a certain point of view and my sister has a certain point of view. And both of them believe they're 100% right. And there is no middle ground between them. Right. Uh, that's a really good way to put it. I feel like that's pretty much with everything nowadays. But not, But so many people are so much more passionate about this and are researching the right. data like madmen to prove their point. So, right, 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 right. So there is science behind it. The problem is there's two different lines of science. Like wearing mm-hmm. a mask, not wearing a mask. Being around people, not being around people. If you're a certain age, if you're not a certain age, like getting businesses back and go, correct. Up and, going and, again and 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 there's o- there's always going to be the battle of do we self quarantine and keep people healthy, but then the economy is going to die and people are going to you know suffer that way, suffer this way from depression and mental health and suicide. And then there's but on this side, there's less cars in the road every day, so there's less car crashes. Like there's a million things to look at. There is. Oh, the, the fact that, like, our carbon uh, emissions went down 18% in this is, the United States alone this is in the, just seven, eight weeks. This is yeah. the first Earth Day of its kind, and possibly the only one. That's why I made that video. This mm-hmm. is the first Earth Day where we're actually on the downward spiral of, you know, pollution. And we and if we don't make the necessary changes right now, we might not ever have that again in our lifetime. Now is the moment when the, when the air is clean, the mountains are visible, the canals are clear. But if we just go right back to what normal was, we're going to keep burning the earth. And we could even burn even faster because we're trying to get back to where we were. Exactly. But now we can implement, be like, oh, you know, half of us can work from home. That would reduce the amount of cars on the road. That's one step. Okay. The biggest thing is people being conscious or putting in the regulations of recycling programs and things like that that Europe has in place. Like, you literally get fined if you don't recycle properly in Europe. And you have to recycle way, like nine different ways in certain countries. America, we don't – like 7% of plastic gets recycled. Yeah. It's tough. I know there's a, there's a company out there that one of my buddies just invested in. It's like a AI trash bot. Okay. And it separates the trash. What, so you just throw what? your stuff away, and yep. it can recognize what the Crack. trash is and then sorts it into those – Six or seven categories. Uh, you can imagine this machine's a bit robust, and it's not really like you can't just plop it down like you would a normal trash can. Yeah, but it's but unless you have government regulations right. um, finding people, you're not going to change human behavior anytime soon. Yeah, the the whole part, point about it is it's the reason why this quarantine has been so effective positively for the environment is because we've physically had to change our lifestyle. Yep, and that's. Really, at the end of the day, what we need to do oh, yeah. in order to save the environment in a, in, well, in a, in a mass scale is l- people working from home so that you're just no longer needing to drive. Or if you're not going to change the lifestyle or human behavior, change the technology that we use. There's, right. If everyone drove the cars that we have these days, 
we would be fine and we would have pollution go down. The problem is we have a lot of invested money into oil and we drive more electric cars that are better for the environment. Oil goes down. Yeah. So there, there unfortunately there's, um, you know, capitalism and government behind everything. So, and that's just a whole different debate. But if you change the technology in which everyone, you know, puts their trash or the pollution all in one bucket and then you use the technology to sort it out. Yes. It's kind of, reverse thinking but that might be the solution that we come up with like we have a piece of machine a piece of machinery at our building that is the first one in the world of its kind it's a mobile gasification unit which nobody knows kind of what that is or what that means um but we're testing it out every day it pretty much takes plastics that can't get recycled you think of like rubbermaid bins and kids toys and lawn furniture it doesn't have the recycling logo on it but it's still made out of plastic right so what it does is if you put 300 pounds of that plastic into this thing, it pretty much is like an easy bake oven. And after three and a half hours, you open up the door and it's like this much ash. But the emissions going out of it actually are 99.9% clean. Wow. How does that work? That's crazy. It's, it's just a process of gasification. You think of like incineration as like direct heat on something. Like you put yeah. a flame on something, it burns. It's incinerating. Gasification is... This is where I'm going to, you know, lose some people scientifically. But um, you pretty much insert gas into the chamber, and then it breaks down the carbon particles and uses that as a fuel. What kind of gas is it? Uh, well, it you put in – I'm trying to think. I think it's little it, – it's not like propane, but it's something similar. That's what I'm saying. It's not like a – it's a – But it, but it's it not... creates syngas. That's ultimately what refuels it. Like you put a little bit of propane in there. It starts breaking down something by carbon particles, and then it uses syngas to keep breaking down the rest of it. So it produces syngas. Got it. Which is like its own energy and own fuel. Syngas. All I know is you put 300 pounds in. You open the door three hours later, it's gone. And there's no bad emissions coming out. Wow. Because so, the propane or whatever you're doing is eating that carbon. That's It's breaking it down in like an organic way, kind of. Yeah. And like I'm not probably speaking to it the proper way. Like I have the machine, and we use it at yeah. our building. Where'd you get the machine? Uh, this company in um, Exonia, Wisconsin, which is like an hour uh, away from us, they built it. And gasification isn't new technology. It's been used in Europe. That's why, like, Sweden is, like, has no landfills. Like, they don't – they Sweden, literally, Germany. Yeah, they don't have landfills because they gasify all their trash. So this is the same thing. This is the oh, first – I didn't know that. Yeah, this is the first mobile unit. So it's on a semi-truck. So think about it if a natural disaster hits, like Hurricane Katrina. Something like that happens, but you don't realize the impact that has on the waste industry. You can't get to houses. Trash builds up. Trash is already loose in the you know environment. In the, yeah. in the environment, and then you have a crazy amount of trash that you pick up with a front end loader. You put it in dump trucks, and it goes to a landfill. So this is the first machine where you could physically drive it to a facility, drive it to a place, set it down on the ground, and start gasifying trash. Genius. So we, Genius. the reason that we have it is we didn't buy the machine, but the company built it. The problem is they need products to gasify, to test it and do R&D. And we get in all those products every single day. So, so you're like their R&D for Literally. For so the first you know, few months that we had it, they're just like, all right, let's put in these types of plastics and these types of things. And then we're like, hey, what if we put two sleeper sofas in there? Literally like this. And we put a sleeper sofa like this and this on it. And three hours later, we opened up the door and it was just the metal frame left <laughs> so we came up with we, we came up with crazy ideas because we we're just like hey we can build up 30 you know fake christmas trees because christmas trees like fake christmas trees are a horrible thing for the environment you can't recycle them at all oh no even the metal unless like, you hold on to them and then use them once a year 
Dude, but the the amount of Christmas trees that people have in their basements and attics is insane. It's insane. We have four here. What? You we have four? four. Yeah. And, and when you and they're all our roommates, Matt. And when you guys move out of here at some point, and you are like, yeah, we're starting over. We're getting married. Like we're getting this new house. We're gonna have a real tree this year. Guess where those four trees go? The landfill. Right. Because you can't recycle them. Fuck. Right. I'm not calling you guys assholes or anything, but like. <laughs> so okay, so then you, do you gasify the the, you can, the fake Christmas tree? Yep, and then it it um it can it leaves just the metal behind, and then you can recycle that. You can recycle the metal. Okay, well that's great. Maybe we gotta maybe you gotta do a promo video for Christmas this year, and be like, could. send us all your Christmas trees so we can save the world. So yeah, I mean we could. <laughs> the thing is, the machine and like the marketing and everything behind it is not our. That's not your gig. That's not our gig. It could be yeah. a suggestion to this this company. Correct. I could be like, hey, we could produce a video for you. We produce videos for their website, but it's yeah. very up to their standards. Sure. Because no, no, no. it's their brand. It's their market. It's literally right. a machine that we have sitting in our building, and we don't invest that much into it. Right. But, um, That's just my silly goose idea. Yeah. <laughs> what I want what I want to do when we first got it was the big debate of environmentalists right now is like coffee cups. Because mm-hmm. we go through so many coffee cups as a society every single day, and like plastic straws, obviously. Right. Um, like the Starbucks cups have the silicone liner on the inside, and you can't recycle them. Oh. Um, because of that, so if you took three hundred pounds of Starbucks cups um, after they were thrown in the trash and put them in this machine and showed the video of that and be like, "Hey, this it got rid of these and it's clean air," like that would sell itself. Yeah, our man, our man's uh, Habs Habs Empire here on the live is that he's like, "What about the ash? Is that safe?" The ash is landfill safe. Yep, and you can actually uh, use all it. Right. Good. And, and you can actually use it for fertilizer and for compost. Okay. Yep. Oh. So it takes three hundred pounds and then it um, converts it into like a coffee can of ash, like two or three pounds. Wow. Sweet. Yep. It's, but it's totally safe. Yep. And the, the more and, you know. And literally, the DNR um, and everyone came out and tested the air. It's not like we did an independent test of the air quality. And you're just saying the air yeah, looks no. good. Yeah, no, <laughs> it looks clean. <laughs> I mean, I'm no scientist, but. Looks pretty good to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the DNR did all the testing as far as like the Dang. air quality. So. Dang. So that and that's just like one thing we have at our building. Like mm-hmm. uh, every day we meet somebody new to get rid of waste in a better way. Beautiful. So. God, that's like so fascinating. Like mattresses, like all of our mattresses, we build up 180 mattresses at a time. Imagine, I mean, that's the size of like this house filled mattresses, floor to ceiling. We build up 180, and then a semi pulls up. We load them all into there. It takes like an hour and 10 minutes, and then they all go down to Illinois to get recycled. And when you rip up a mattress and take all the fibers and different things, they actually shred it, and then that's what they use when you buy a dog bed. Like the fibers on the inside, it's all shredded mattresses and clothing. Recycled mattresses. Because they don't need to make it up to a certain quality because it's like animals living on it, not humans. Right. Wow. So that's like – it's a reverse supply chain. If you think about yeah, if you guys buy a mic off of Amazon, somebody had to produce the mic, then they sold it to Amazon for you guys to buy it, and then you bought it and ended up at your house. Now you guys get rid of that mic, you give it to a company like ours, and we find the person that needs the raw metal, the raw rubber, the raw components that it's made of, and then we sell it back to them, and they reproduce it into something else. Mm-hmm. It's a reverse supply chain. Yeah. no, it's We true. give it back yeah. to manufacturers to take it from a good, recycle it or do whatever, turn it into something else. Right. And I feel like no one really thinks about it that way because we look as a used material that we're done with. We don't we're, – not only are we getting getting rid of it physically, but we're getting rid of it mentally too. We're a consumeristic society. Very much a materialistic. So. Yeah. So. But when you 
switch it around and say uh my the growth of my dog bed company is is uh contingent upon how many mattress fibers that I can get then you're actually you're you're still feeding the consumer society through recycling or through the reproduction so if you're selling dog beds like crazy the first person you're going to is the mattress place in Illinois saying how many more beds can we possibly get but only like five this is a arbitrary number but five to ten percent of mattresses get recycled because there's not enough infrastructure put in place to recycle them there's only five states right now in America that recycle mattresses Hmm. what the frick Illinois is one of them thankfully that we're so close yeah uh our, our another guy here Sean Cole official he's asking what's the name of your company um, the main company that we run is called Green Up Solutions. Green Up Solutions. Yep. So that's the um, that's the company that runs the uh, um, our facility. We do safe environments now, um, like we were talking about earlier with uh, uh, UV light technology and making sure that as we go back into hospitals and senior living places that everything is clean and sanitized up to yeah. hospital grade. Um, so we do that safe environments program. We do like commercial demo. We we kind of just have our hands in a handful of different industry okay industries. Um, we own the Rage Room, which is yeah we <laughs> yeah we what, so when you said that's opening up pretty soon. I think here. today we're allowing bookings to come in. Yeah, wow, so, dude. Um, talk, talk, wait, tell tell the people so, about the the uh, the Rage so the Rage Room. So like I said earlier, we have a eighty five percent recovery of products at our peak. Okay, some of those pro- like wood products, like dressers and you know kitchen tables that are just scratched up have whatever growing on them or like in bad shape that we have to throw away. We were paying our guys to smash them, to put them in a dumpster to save space in the dumpster, obviously. So we just took that model and said, why don't we just put them in a room? People can pay us to break it and then we'll still throw it away or recycle it. Like for glass, for example, like if we take, you know, a whiskey jar or whatever, and somebody drank all the whiskey and then gives it to us to recycle it. We're still going to recycle it, but we're going to have somebody throw it against a wall first and then recycle it. So <laughs> a very simple business concept. Again, not the greatest business guy ever, but, I, you know, we get playful every time. And you, right? got, you, <laughs> got, you got British riot helmets. Yeah, we have British police riot helmets. You yeah. know, BritishPoliceSupply.com, 35 bucks a crack. There's the old pitch. Um, my roommate found those online. He's like, yeah, we're not just going to have helmets. We have riot shields, dude. That's so rad. So, um, yeah, the Rage Room, we have two different rooms. One is a freestyle Rage where you get, like, three pieces of furniture, a printer, and then a full um, crate of glassware, like 15 to 20 pieces. And you get, like, baseball bats, golf clubs, sledgehammers, hockey sticks, whatever you want to break those things with. Hmm. Um, And then we have a Bad Day at the Office, which is an office theme room at all times. So there's a desk, a chair, a printer, laptop, a couple pictures on the wall. And then we have the lane of pain, which is where you get glass and you throw it at a steel wall. And wow. you, you pay to come in, break stuff. We, How much is it? Um, between like twenty five to forty bucks per person. Like that's okay. kind of the average. Like, and you can just break shit for like a couple hours or however. Not long you want. literally like it. La- like I'm gonna say it lasts seven to eight minutes. You're like, oh, that's not a good value. But like after seven or eight minutes of swinging a baseball bat, when you don't do that every day, like you're pretty exhausted. You're like, <laughs> I broke a whole crate. I'm good now. So like when people do come in and they they do go for seven to eight minutes, by that the end of that time, they're like, they're pretty <sighs> beat. Or they can Ooh. buy another crate. You can always like we sell crates at fifteen twenty bucks a piece. Got it. So you, if you're like, hey, I want to break twenty more pieces, here's another crate. And the thing is, it still gets recycled. Like it's stuff that normally, like I said, we would just pay our employees to break. Now we're and the thing is like. Most people don't get to just break stuff every day. Like, 
when you're a teenager, you got Marcus over here. Marcus is like he totally is. Yeah. <laughs> Come down to Milwaukee, man. <laughs> like you know, five years ago, axe bars weren't popular in America, right. and now yes. they're everywhere. Right? Yes. You drink beer, you throw an axe. That's a concept, okay? <laughs> that's a concept. That's a yeah. business model. <laughs> that's the model, okay? Yeah. Um, so, so rage rooms were not like the first ones to invent this. It's been around for three or four years, and we talked about this when we get, went into business four years ago. We just never had the time or the energy or the space to do it. Now we mm-hmm. did like six months ago. So we built the walls and we're just doing it in the most unique way that we can. Like we built out this sit, sick retro vibe lounge where people can hang out, play air hockey, play some N64. Like it's just like we make it as entertaining as possible. So you get your money's worth. Gotcha. Dude. So Marcus, how soon are you going down to uh, Milwaukee? Oh, I mean, I don't you, actually like want to break anything. I just think it's a super smart business model. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, if you're paying employees to like do it, it, and then you can just be like, "Hey, pay me to do it to some other people." Exactly. That's perfect. That's, it's all that's about a good t- model. <laughs> I mean, really, at the end of the day, like the business side of me, the one that okay, we have to scale our business and make money. It right. is product comes in, we have to extract the most amount of value mm-hmm. out of it financially and keep it on the landfill. Right. So if something's already going to the landfill, already getting recycled, okay, now can we extract any more value out of it while we own it to, you know, best utilize that product? Right. So you literally have to just look at everything. Like we take things for granted, but I see product or things come in as products. Like if a couch comes in or a chair comes into our building, it's a product. What is it made out of? What condition is it in? It's a thing to me. Yeah. It's not a couch. Right. So that's the way I look at every single thing that comes in. Gotcha. Yeah, you don't personalize the, no. the things that come in. No, because if I get attached to everything, I wouldn't have a house anymore because it would be filled with so much stuff. Like right. I just looked at it as, as a thing. Mm. So I keep like one thing a month maybe okay. for my personal use and personal yeah. pleasure yeah. or whatever. But like like my my whole house, I don't have to buy anything ever. When I say I don't have to like buy things, like laundry detergent, like full cases of toilet paper mattresses that are brand new like i don't have to buy anything ever because we get it in our facility right marcus i saw you leaning into the mic there were you about to say something no i was just fixing it i had to reset the camera gotcha okay because we've been going so long that we used all 64 gigs on our sd card right yeah 32 yeah 32 oh you put a 32 in i put a 32 in there that makes sense he's trying to break some stuff he'll admit it yeah, yeah, look, Marcus, you, get, you just got this weird you're look. You're so nice all the time. Like dude, fun, you're so dude. nice all like, the time. You at least want to be a good time. You just yeah. got to take a baseball bat Cor- to, a, you down. to a chandelier sometime. Uh, it's... Corporate outing? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the best thing is we have, a, we have a full-time videographer on our staff that does, like, all of our businesses, like, all the marketing and stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, um, yeah, he just, he can just, like, we're shooting videos on Tuesday promoting the Rage Room and stuff. Yeah. So, What are those shots like in the slow motion Oh, breaking dude is it you the take coolest a ever? you take a toilet you have you ever hulk smashed a toilet probably not no you fuck it you just take a toilet right here on your chest and you just lift it up you just drop it best slow-mo ever dude it <laughs> shatters <laughs> obliterated obliterated marcus don't you think yokum would just absolutely love to do anything like this oh absolutely <laughs> absolutely i think we need to get our buddy austin yokum down to milwaukee into the, the rage room is, i mean tiktok in the making yeah oh yeah. we have our own tiktok page for it okay perfect how's it doing do, I'm, see, I'm not funny enough or creative enough, and I know it's just like just post anything; it'll become good. Like, but I I need that person. Like, if you lived in Milwaukee, I would literally hire you to be our full time TikTok rage room person because you would just kill it. You'd crush it. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't know for sure. But the thing is, it it like sells itself. Be like, hey, the rage room is open today, and then you just take a coffee mug and throw it against the wall. Like, people would see that. But also, too, the audience on TikTok obviously it 
there's yes there are 40 50 year olds but the majority of it is teenagers right um and with it you have to be 18 or older to come into the rage room gotcha so it, it, oh. it's it's going to be effective no doubt why could you just have like younger kids coming with their parents to sign it, off for them um i mean their parents can throw stuff honestly our we haven't had a single person in the rage room under 25 oh, okay. or 30 okay. the so most, you haven't run into this issue yet. no the majority of people are in their 50s <laughs> that's Dude, awesome because they just had like 30 years of stress and like working every day at this corporate job and they just want to break stuff right wow that's wild that's so fascinating there was like these four women that were like late 50s early 60s that just came in and threw they just kept buying crate after crate throwing stuff against a wall <laughs> that's, that's a that's the like and that brings so much joy to me because i'm just like nobody gets to experience that in life yeah I spent my whole life breaking stuff and, you know, just doing that type of thing. And now I get to bring that same joy to other people. Oh, my gosh. This is just genius. It's so funny. Everyone Big from fan. the Thailand trip, like, every every single person, all 16, 17 of us, have talked about coming down to Milwaukee for the rage room. That's amazing. Like, That's everyone so wants amazing. to experience it. Yeah. No, it's, so it's again, just so unique. And it makes so much sense that, on your end. That's finally, like, the business that, like, I don't need to be, like full boss mode about and like we need to you know like if you came to Milwaukee and I showed you our building and be like oh yeah we recycle this this way and like that doesn't interest people as much but like I'm like hey I have a rage room by the way where people can break stuff you're like all right now you have a cool business to own and like mm-hmm. my friends can come and experience it but yeah. well we're having a blast doing it also learning about oh yeah connecting the fact that I'm smashing Hulk smashing a uh toilet and that's good for the environment and here, and here's and here's the other thing so this is the impact so again everything i do i have to be passionate about and find a way to make an impact make people's lives different so this was kind of a reverse way that we thought about this but it's actually going to become true is coming from the music world and music industry all my friends bands and bigger bands that we're friends with um roll through milwaukee we go to their shows and like i want to bring value to them okay if you're sitting on a tour bus for 40, 60, 80 days sometimes, you're first of all, you're already an artist, so you might not you might go through mental health issues or mental struggles every day. Now you're being locked in a bus for 40 days and you only get out of the bus for, you know, a couple hours a day and you're sitting on a venue waiting to play on stage. So mental health in the music world is a big thing. So when these bands roll through town, we're going to offer them to come to the rage room, get off the bus for a minute, come break stuff, release some stress, just come kick it. Don't think about playing music for a little bit and just like just chill out for a bit and get that stress off your chest for free. Nice. Dude, that's killer. So that's like again, it yes, it's a fun business to own. It's a rage room. It's we're trying to make it as environmentally friendly as possible, but how can we make this impactful? And yeah, man. we have a lot of ties with the music industry between me and a handful of other employees. Nice. So um yeah. So that's we partnered sick. we partnered with a radio station. Um, that puts on like decent sized shows, like th- th- like the shows that would happen at First Ave, like if the radio station puts on you know Silver Sun pickups if they come to town. Mm-hmm. Um, they were supposed to be playing in Milwaukee at the Rave March twenty first, and instead of just doing a meet and greet with their fans, the radio station wanted to do a smash and greet. So the band comes with their fans, they all get suited up, they get to sign whatever posters and whatever they have, and then they all get to break stuff together. Value first, dude. Value first. Yeah, I so, love how you you take like your experiences of what you truly know and how you feel and then try and find the next person that does that you that may feel or think that same way i see gaps in the world where people are struggling and people could use that little bit of help a little bit of inspiration and if i can fill that gap that's that's all i care about dude that is i feel like that was the theme of like this whole conversation is just like bring value bring value but be aware of it be thought more thoughtful and be where you be see where you fit in 
Exactly. Yeah. It's not, I'm going to go change the world. It's where's the void that I can provide the most and then see how that leads me to the next opportunity. And then, and you have to be passionate about it. Yeah. I don't build, I don't build woodworking pieces for people because they enjoy the woodworking thing. I just happen to be okay at building stuff. So like, if that's my way of connecting with people and bringing value to them, then I'm in. All my, yeah. all your dogs eat, dude. All my dogs eat. <laughs> all <laughs> my dogs. All the dogs eat. You come up here on a Thursday night. We kick back for a little bit. Uh, wake up early on a Friday morning. Record a podcast. It's now. Ju- I think we just passed the two hour mark. Correct me if I'm wrong, Marcus. Yep. And uh, we just had an awesome conversation before noon. Now we and it's Memorial Day and weekend. I, and I've had two cups of coffee. That's crazy for me, dude. Yeah, you're wired. <laughs> Busy lit, busy. Lit. <laughs> I think I was gonna be lit on a Friday morning, but here we are, boys. Yeah, man. Um, but I, I'd like to ask you what you learned today from you know the moment you woke up to now we're halfway through the day. Just ha- recorded a two-hour podcast. What you learned today, man? That people, people, no matter what, can be open to change, open to perspective on the way that other people think. If that makes sense, like. I can change people's perspective and just bring value to people if they're open to it. But you have to be, you have to come into every conversation with an open mind and want to learn from the other person. And that's both, that's a two way street. Mm-hmm. So me learning from you guys, you, you learn from me, open mindedness. So everyone has the ability to adapt and change their perspective. Um, you just have to be open minded towards it. And really, I think that's the thing that I want to get across the most is, um, we can all wake up with a very healthy mindset every single day, but a lot of us choose to focus on the negatives, consume negative content, hang around with the same people, and not change our lives for the better. But um, you can – I truly believe everyone can make the conscious choice to live a happy life and get out of the circumstance that's putting them in a negative mindset because you guys are living it day in day out. Not that you were in a negative mindset and now you are happy doing a podcast, but like you've found your passion. you found what you care about, and now you're in a really good place. So – I think everyone has that skill and nobody tries to adapt or yeah, to adapt to it in their life. So beautifully said, man, I really do appreciate that. And I totally agree. And I think that's what it comes back to again, full circle that, that idea that, you know, we promote this idea of the average because, And, and, and truly everyone is average. I don't see myself any different than anyone else. Truly. Like I'm, I'm creating a speech. I don't want to say a speech, a monologue right now, a dialogue for a video that I'm going to create. That's called "I'm Not the Smartest Person," and that my dialogue is going to be my story of I'm not smart, I'm not talented, and I fully accept that in me. I didn't get good grades in high school. I'm not book smart. I'm not street smart. I don't have a crazy talent. Like that's th- those are things I've accepted about myself, mm-hmm. and I don't deserve to be this happy in my life with those qualities when other people have qualities of being very smart, very talented and they're unhappy. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I'm trying to word it in the best way possible. I'm like really just sitting down with that concept, but like it's literally the concept of I'm not that smart of a person. And if I've figured out life this much at 27 to be this happy and this successful on my own terms, nobody has any reason to be unhappy. Right. I think, I think you should build yourself up a a tad more like I think there's a there's a there's an avenue where you're saying I'm not anything and I got to be something where I'm happy. I would change it a little bit more of I am this person and I was able to achieve happiness. Correct. Yeah. Through through 
yeah, me the, and, and my negative feelings and my negative thoughts and all the things that have happened in my own but, life, I've still fo- found opportunities of happiness through this, through this, and, through this. And I, I guess, yeah, I should word it different. It's not through a negative mindset. It's more of self-awareness. I'm big on self-awareness. Yes. I know, like, I'm not saying I'm not talented because I'm negative about it. It's mm-hmm. self-aware. Right. I know I'm not a good guitar player. Like, that's fine. I've accepted it. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> no. There's an instrument called the bass, which is way easier, and you can make it look so much cooler. <laughs> um, well, and you can play piano, too. I, yeah. But, like, it's just, I've just accepted that. And another concept that this is, like, my life motto, I guess, that I, I came up with years ago, and I'm happy I did. It's called Born With Too Much. And I think every single person in this planet, there's 7.7 billion of us, unless you're, if there's a world life chart of everyone and how they're ranked and how lucky they are to be born and everything there's one person at the end he can complain everyone else we're all born with too much too much opportunity too many you know the financial status we're born into the country that we're born into we're born with too many things to not pursue greatness in yourself and help impact the world around you Mm. interesting if you go on all my nobody knows this yet this is the first public announcement of this if you go to like every Instagram post I do, there's always hashtag born with too much. Love it. That's beautiful. It's a concept where it's born with too many things. I say we, we wrap it there. Yeah. Born with too much. God bless. Well, thank you, Ike, for coming on and, and blessing the world and more, more importantly, hanging out with us. It's good Appreciate to freaking catch up with you, dude. Appreciate you, boys. I know, right? All my dogs eat. All my dogs eat. That's a wrap.